This episode is brought to you by HP Instant Ink. No one is reading your mind, but HP Instant Ink knows when your printer is running low and sends new cartridges before you run out. So you never have to think about ink. For details, visit hp.com slash instant ink Spotify. Conditions apply. Chapter Tactics, your 40k podcast, which focuses on playing Warmer 40k competitively at all levels of the game. I'm your host, Pablo, and I brought In Control and Abuse Puppy with me. Howdy, Pablo. And we are going to fill your heads with ITC knowledge. Specifically, we're going to tell you guys how to win ITC missions. But before we do that, I have two tournament majors we're going to cover, the Storm of Silence GT, this past weekend, actually, yeah, one week ago, one weekend ago, and the Alamo GT, both majors, both, from what I've heard, outstanding events, and there's one faction that I think a lot of you listeners have been dying to see in the top tables, uh, made not one, but three top five appearances, so kudos to that faction, and let's just jump into it. So we're going to talk about the Alamo GT first. The train, the train in Jeff's in Jeff's house is excited too because number one faction was Dark Eldar. So this is where the train goes. Yeah, it heralds their arrival. There's no point in muting Pablo if you're going to talk about the train. <laughs> it adds some character. The train's excited, man. You you can't keep down that kind of excitement forever. Uh, congratulations to Matthew Ali, Ali. Uh, I, I'm it spelled. Weird. Anyways, Matthew Lee uh, went with Cabal of the Blackheart uh, Dark Eldar Detachment, and I'm looking through his list, and I don't see a single Eldar or Harlequin's model. It is only Dark Eldar, and as yep. a matter of fact, has my favorite, I think my favorite Xenos model, period. Um, my first non-Space Marine model, Lilith Hesperex in it. So oh, it's yeah. Really great to see Lilith at a top table performing. I love the model. Uh, I always felt like she's been shafted since I started playing 40k, rules-wise. Um, so it's great to see her on. Is that a sex joke, Pablo? <laughs> well, it, it's a Dark Eldar joke, right? <laughs> so it is uh, a sex joke. Kind of. <laughs> so Lilith, uh, first, uh, Cult of Strife Detachment uh, with Lilith Hesperex, a succubus, um, which I've been told are really, really good. Um, three units of witches named Snap, Crackle, and Shank. <laughs> uh, he's got names for all of his all his Dark Eldar models. Uh, he's got two homunculuses and a Prophets of Flesh attachment with three units of Frax and Srax and one large unit of Grotesques. And then finally, a Cabal of the Blackheart detachment with Archon, three Ravagers, two Razorwing Jet Fighters, two Raiders, and two Venoms to put all of the infantry in. And that is his list. It is a mech, you know, Dark Eldar list. Um, and I... I don't see anything crazy uh, other than I don't see any real tech, but I'm not a Dark Eldar player. 
So, Sean, I'm going to pass the ball to you. Um, I haven't played a lot of Dark Eldar yet. I'm trying to get some experience with them. I probably will this coming weekend here. Uh, but I think their big strength is the they've got a lot of really fast stuff that can be mechanized. Um, you know, just tossing a bunch of witches or warriors into some Venoms and Raiders is a solid strategy to start out with. They've got some really good flyers, which he's taking advantage of, obviously. And all the Homunculus Coven stuff is insanely tough for the price you're paying. So, uh, I'm not sure this is necessarily, like, the archetype of the list you're gonna see, but I think it features a lot of the, what are they gonna be the usual candidates. Yeah, it's... Uh if they got the really good mix of like speed horde and mech, anytime you have that kind of combination, yeah. it's, it's really, it's really potent. Um, it's actually really telling that in this tournament, the second place guy who also went undefeated was also dark Eldar. And hmm. I actually, this is going to sound weird or like sour grapes. I don't have a horse in the race, so it just is what it is, but I actually prefer his list. I think it's very good. It's, it's something along the lines of nine venoms, some Talos, Still the three Ravagers, which you'll see a lot of. And then he doesn't have the Flyers or anything like that, but he's got the the unit of three Witches down to min five. Um, but that kind of thing, the cool thing about Dark Eldar that you're going to see a lot of is, is the mixed um, Obsessions and Covens. And, not co Is it Coven? Uh, yeah, Homunculus, Covens, Witch Cults, and Cabals are the I'm three different things. I'm just going to call them all things. Covens, and I think that should catch on, yeah. because it's otherwise really a, a gigantic mouthful. Another Dark Elder joke. Hey, but I will say <laughs> that's a big penis joke, guys. Um, oh, I get that it. The what penis I like is about, a hammer. Right. They bring a lot of cool stuff, but they also are just loaded with the trickery that you need to, to also be successful, at least earlier on as well. Everyone knows about mm -hmm. Agents of Vec. It's an incredibly powerful... Um, stratagem, but I think what's really fun is I, I was talking to a lot of people coming back from these tournaments um, in, in this past weekend, because this is kind of the big coming out party for Dark Eldar, and it was a lot of funny like, I used it at this time, and then there's that, that moment where everyone goes, oh yeah, because there's like the really obvious like Tide of Traitors and some of these kind of mm. big moments where you're like, that's the one I'll block, but then there was like double shooting Hive Guard units, yeah, that, yeah that's not something people were talking about but that makes a hell of a lot of sense the player was counting on that, can't do it. Uh, and then I think one of the missing elements that people don't talk that much about, but is huge in 8th edition, but big for Dark Eldar, is they have a lot of invul saves. And if just oh, at yeah. the right time, or just annoyingly when you you know otherwise you know can't count on that, they get a save, which in 8th edition is a big freaking deal, because if you just roll a few 5s, a few 6s, that completely negates a shooting phase, and now they're assaulting you, and, and you know you don't have that shooting ever again. Yeah, the just having that invuln save is a big strength because it means that sometimes you'll get lucky and just like, oh, they pointed five meltaguns at your one venom, but you rolled three fives and you're yep. alive all of a sudden and now they have a real problem. Yeah, and they just absolutely like they they thought it was overkill. It just didn't happen. Mm -hmm. Then there's all like the six up feel the pains around the board too. Like the dark, the, you know, everyone looked yeah. at dark color like. Tough three, five up saves, like really pretty garbage stat lines in that way. But it was, I think everyone kind of caught on to this where they're looking around and they're like, yeah, but there's a lot of trickery going on here. And they have some weird, like not great saves. Of course, there's the Archon 2 up in Vol, which is ridiculous, but everyone knows about that. But for the most part, it's a lot of fives, a lot of sixes, followed by another six. And then if you're homunculized, sometimes even better, rerolling like ones. 
They, mm. They're actually like tenacious, and they are, they're a horde army with a lot of vehicles. It's really powerful. Yeah, Dark Eldar are surprisingly resilient. They look like paper. Their basic troops on foot will die to, like, bolt guns and shit, sure. But their vehicles especially, their homunculus stuff, and even their basic guys are a lot mm. more resilient than they look at first glance. Yeah, and here's the most important thing. Um, that kind of touches a little bit on the topic in the future, is they are an extremely hard army to score points on. Um, other than mm. the odd succubus um, or two, I guess you could, you would definitely pick Headhunter against these two specific Dark Eldar lists, but I have a feeling that yeah. these guys knew that people would do that and either played really cagey with their characters um, or let them die. I mean, you can hide the characters and vehicles. Um, so, you know, the uh, specifically yeah. Nick Gower, he has, what, nine, ten Venoms? You just, mm. you know, if one of his succubuses comes, pops out of a venom, she kills a unit, or she can go into a venom and not die. It, it's just, it's, it's hard to score points on. Them. ITC it's points. the same. It's the same strength that uh, Craft World Eldar have. Mm-hmm. That it's actually quite difficult to get any ITC points off of them. Uh, you tend to be stuck taking stuff like recon or. Uh, you know, behind enemy lines or things like that, because you can't realistically score a lot of other objectives against them. Yeah. Well, it's funny about that, and what kind of plays to it, though, is a lot of times when you are the behind enemy lines recon situation or player, you've got a couple of assassins or whatever, you're looking for that. A mm-hmm. lot of times you're facing armies that are more static, or if they're going to commit to whatever is getting you those points, it's it's a big cost for them. Dark oh, Eldar, yeah. because they're so fast and mobile, and because a lot of times, like the funniest Dark Eldar scenario is you've killed like four or five re- um, Venoms, but then there's like pockets of five, you know, Cabalite warriors just sitting around. You're, you like can't be arsed to deal with them. Yeah, uh, those are the guys that take pot shots at the remaining two or three scouts or your assassin or whatever, and, and nuke it, and then you don't get those points. It's a big deal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and and another thing is these two players um, played pheno- played phenomenally. Um, Matt Ali beat Thomas Goatboy um, round four, and <laughs> Nick Gower went had to go through Will Abilies, who um, has made the top eight at Delvio and was one win shy of making the top eight at Delvio this year, and also Anthony Belm, uh, a solid veteran Tau player. Um, so these Dark Eldar players and lists are, I don't think they're flash in the pan lists, and I think that specifically Eldar players, um, you guys should probably consider looking at these lists and figuring out how you're going to either deal with them or add them to your list. And I think that goes for everyone. Yeah, Dark Eldar are going to be big. You're going to see them at a lot of tournaments. A lot of people are going to be playing them. Uh, just get used to seeing them in the top tables. Yeah. All right. And more, so, so, more so as we go forward, too, because I was actually I was pleasantly surprised with how many we saw at this tournament, but it still is only like a week or, you know, like a, I think two weeks after the release. Now, a lot of people own Dark Eldar, obviously, but they made things good that maybe not everyone necessarily had, like witches and a lot of the homunculi stuff, but they're mm. already doing well, and there's going to be more going forward. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So let's let's talk about Colin McDade a little bit, uh, a fellow Custodes player to Jeff. Oh, um, I stared at him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I watched him the whole time. So so uh, he he was running not not a, I think actually you know what Jeff do you want to take this over because yeah. your lists are different and similar at the same time. Well, funny enough, actually our lists are very similar with what I'm taking to the London GT, but he has. <laughs> A Custodes, um, I believe this is a, well, it's the Fast Attack Detachment. I never know what to call it. Outrider. Outrider. Okay, thank you. It's uh, three units of five, or two units of five, and one unit of six Virtus Praetors with Hurricane Bolters, two Shield Captains, 
both have misericordias, or as I like to call them, I had four points. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, I think it's just no, it's just one. Excuse me, which is actually kind of a cool way to run it. Uh, he also huh. has a hurricane bolter, and then it's the guard detachment that is just about minimum. Yeah, in that it's the two company commanders, which he named as well. People in Texas named their models. I don't know. <laughs> uh, and then three infantry units, each with a mortar. Oh, no, no. He actually has... No, okay, so it's three infantry units. He doesn't give them the mortar. And then he has three heavy weapons teams, which is actually a pretty elegant way to do that because oh. uh, the one mortar is like pretty lackluster. I mean, it's, it's fine. It's a five-point upgrade to the unit. But the heavy weapons teams is uh, only 33 points to give them those reroll orders. It's Katie, of course. So very solid list. Um, yeah. Do you, hmm. are you in favor of the single Don Eagle Jet Bike character? Because you run three. You ran three previously. I don't actually know what you're taking to the London GT. Yeah. Um, no, so it's what, interesting. What, I, I've I've gone back from that. So a lot of times, or excuse me, at least at the beginning, if you're taking a custodian's detachment that's not the supreme command of like three shield captains, uh, everyone was taking three shield captains anyways. But as time has kind of gone on, you're seeing more and more of these lists, myself included, that's going down to two or even one shield captain. It's not that they're bad. They're obviously phenomenal and they're great. But these bigger units of Virtus Praetors, uh, allowing yourself a Magnifica in there from a... Um, the ba- I'm just like blanking on the name right now, but it's the guy that holds the banner. It's Vexilla Praetor. Yeah. Vexilla. Yeah. That's why... I, sometimes I shy away from these names because I knew that Pablo or somebody was going to be like, Vexilis Ministorum Tempestus. And then I'm like, well, I'm never going to remember the name ever again. Uh, it's the Vexilis, It's the Vexilla Praetor, and he holds the Magnifica, which is the minus one to hit. Uh, but anyways, yeah, so to your point, less shield captains. They're really cool, though. They are one of the better ways to uh, splinter off and go score, which is something that these lists, and, and I'll talk a little bit about this, because this happened at Storm of Silence as well, the other term we'll talk about in a minute. But these custodies lists are getting more and more extreme. Like, this is, this was a two fives and a six. That's 16 Virtus Praetor bikes. That's a lot. That's a it lot doesn't of dudes. score very well in the ITC. Like that, you don't take five bikes and say, "Well, I'm going to hold this middle objective." Like you'll do it <laughs> on your way to your opponent's butthole that you're about to cram your entire lower body into. <laughs> um, but you don't like splinter off those units and do that. And that's why some of my earlier lists included assassins, not just because they're fun and cool, but because those were the guys I could reliably be like, "Okay, go sit on that objective or go replace those scouts so that you can score while my big guys go do some ass kicking." But these lists still did really well. Yeah, it's interesting. It, Like you say, it's a very extreme list. You're basically either tabling your opponent or losing because you have no real scoring in that army. It's a handful of guardsmen that you hope your opponent doesn't kill. And hope is about the best you can do. It's funny how it works, though, Sean. It, it, you're absolutely 100% correct. But in, in all my... I've played a lot. I'm closing on like 100 games of Custodes at this point in time. Uh, people like just cannot help themselves but ignore the guardsmen, which I don't necessarily think is, like, this huge fault. But it's a funny, like... I, I haven't kept stats. I'm not that nerdy uh, yet. Wait until I'm in my 40s. It'll probably happen. But, like, I, I just... In all my games, the guard are the most afterthought thing you've ever seen in your life. Or if they have, like, the absolute... If they look at my custodians and they're like, what, do they have a two-up save? And they're like, yeah. I'm like, okay, well, I'll shoot the infantry unit. Okay, they kill two guys to take my leadership. I'm totally fine. It just doesn't <laughs> matter at all. And I find that interesting because, um, you know, I've never played your list, but I played several mm-hmm. similar lists at uh, a couple of tournaments, and I tend to dedicate a, a decent chunk of my force 
to just going down and hunting down those guardsmen because I know they're feeding you command points, Mm -hmm. they're scoring objectives, they're getting you points every turn. And they fold quickly. You don't even have to commit that They do. Like, you know, my Eldar list would throw, like, two squads of swooping hawks at the entire guard detachment, and that probably does the job. Almost, yeah. At least they'll kill a squad or two for sure, and then... And yeah. then if they're spinning command points to keep the last two or three guys on the table, then you're actually taxing them there as well. Right. And um, that's the idea is you're you're forcing the player to, to 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 spend resources on something they don't want to. Right. Exactly right. Yeah. All right. So let's let's round out the the rest of the X and 1 players. So uh there were two Eldar players, well specifically one Inari, one Alitok player. Um I'm not going to belittle their lists. They were actually not the typical Eldar lists. Um though I'm not going to cover them in detail because you guys have seen all their lists. One of them had 30 rangers, which was, which was pretty cool. Um, two Tau well, players. One thing to mention, though, I do want to say this, because I don't know that we've covered this too much, but we're seeing this really, really commonly in Eldar lists. It's become, I would say, one of the most common things to see make out their list, but it's either two or three flyers. We're seeing entire mm-hmm. wing detachments of two or three, uh, and it's often Crimson Hunters as opposed to Hemlocks, but it's kind of interchangeable. You'll see both, obviously. I've run quite a lot of the Eldar Flyers earlier in the edition before they did as many of the changes. Mm-hmm. I actually ran as many as six Flyers in an Eldar list. Um, You're son of a bitch. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm the reason they put that rule in there. Um, and even now, they're very strong units. The Hemlock is great. Obviously, auto hits with strength 12 are pretty dangerous, and the psychic powers are fantastic. But people underestimate the Crimson Hunter. Um, it's a lot cheaper than the Hemlock, almost 50 points. Uh, and it has pretty reasonable firepower, and its big advantage is it can hang back outside of that 12 inches, mm. just sort of sit on your board edge or whatever, and blast away the whole game. And yeah, it doesn't shoot as hard as Dark Reapers, but it's putting out a bunch of Strength 6 or Strength 8 shots with AP3 for multiple damage, and it's impossibly hard to get rid of. Yeah. Like, no yeah. one wants to shoot at that thing. Yeah, it's uh, you run the two Bright Lances and the Pulse Laser or something like that for four? Uh, the- the Four pulse shots. laser is fixed. I actually run star cannons on mine over the bright okay. lances uh, because I prefer having more shots. I use them to clear out heavy infantry a lot. Um, you know, custodies and a lot of these other guys just don't appreciate having multiple strength six shots come in their way. Um, and the reroll to wound against anything that the fly keyword is surprisingly good. Um, it means that it's a lot easier for me to chew up like the medium weight transports, uh, especially with dark Eldar coming out. I I'm looking a lot more at them because it's like, you know, six shots wounding on threes, rerolling wounds is pretty solid for eating up a venom every turn. Yeah. Yep. Yep. All right. Two Tau players. Will Abilese. Congratulations, mm-hmm. buddy. And then and it's surprising uh, to see Tau do well despite Reese's best efforts, too. Yeah. Like, Jeff, like you're not allowed to talk about the secret Reese <laughs> plan to destroy all Tau players. Let me cover that real quick, though, Pablo. Sure, uh, man. This, Come on this top Tau player, I'm just kind of, I'm not going to go over the whole list, but one of the common things if you're a Tau player listening to this um, is Marksman is like a huge deal. Oh, yeah. People are filling out their mm-hmm. elite slots with them. It's just reliable marker lights, good characters, sitting on objectives. Like, that's a really. That's the neurothrope of this codex. Like, it's a very powerful, yeah. cheap unit that does a lot for you. Yeah. Yeah, I, I know, I agree. Marksmen are fantastic. I have loved them in my armies because they're just too much of a pain to deal with. And because they, they have two up save and cover also. That's another thing that's mm-hmm. easy to forget. So it's like you sneak that one unit of 
you know, tactical squad close enough to shoot them. You're like, ha and now your shitty character dies. And you're like, mm, yeah, no, I just roll three twos and I'm fine. <laughs> uh, but then this guy actually took the Tiger Shark Fighter Bomber, which is 430 points of mean. Um, so that's yeah. impressive. Bunch of stealth suits. I don't, yeah, I agree with you. I don't think it's particularly good, but he actually went, um, he only lost his first game and won every game after that. Huh, okay. I'd, I'd I'd be curious to to see what all he played. Yeah, well, that, that's also Anthony Belm. He's a he's a guy who's been playing for for a while since I at least oh, yeah. since I've been playing. Okay. Um, but um, so you know maybe Tiger Sharks new meta. I doubt it. Um, no. no, 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 no. And then, and then Will Abilese. Oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. I, I wasn't anything important. Will Abilese, uh making also going uh, four and one with with Riptides. Mm-hmm. Uh, he brought Riptides back. Hopefully, he brought oh, yeah. his Gundam Riptides. Um, <laughs> he had two years ago. Just two, I, though. I can't see through this. What's his list actually looking like? It's uh, two Riptides. Or wait. No, it's two Riptides, some Pathfinders, some Strike Teams. Uh, a lot of people are doing the Cold Star suits, which I think is, a, is huge. Really fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, two or three of those is really, really cool. And then uh, a Crisis Suit here. Bomb. Crisis oh, interesting. Suit bomb. Not that heavy, though. It's just... Uh, Three, three? Suits? six. Yeah. No, those are gun drones. It's three with yeah. six drones. Okay. Um, and then Breacher's just got a lot of like little squads of guys. Pretty cool, balanced um, army. Yeah, Riptides, by the way, are a thing. They're pretty damn good, actually. They're again. they are fairly solid. Uh, I think they do run into the problem that El- that Tau have is like if you run up against Eldar, Dark Eldar, they're in trouble. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're pretty good against the rest of the fields. I've been yeah. running between one and three in various lists, and I think they definitely have a place. They're good. They're just, they're fairly mobile, and they're, the resiliency of them is what I really like. They're kind yes. of akin to a fly rent for me, where, especially if you drop them down to that three plus plus, um, mm-hmm. it's not easy to remove that. We all know what three plus pluses can do. You can either not make a single one in 30 rolls, or you can make all 29 of 30. You know, they're just yeah. very strong that way. And, and then, they, they can pawn the wounds off on drones. They have a two-up save and T7 already. They're just, yeah. they're super difficult to get rid of. And then uh, before we get to the Necron player, because I want to I wanna end on him, um, Thomas Goatpoy finished up with Chaos um, with probably the least, or, uh, pro- I'm sorry, probably the um, most competitive, like, beat stick, unfun list you could imagine for Chaos. <laughs> um, especially, I think actually in this top eight, um, that's uh, he's got three plague burst crawlers, two bloat drones, a unit of poxwalkers, and a demon prince and a death card detachment, and then Aramon, another demon prince, and three hellforged contemptor dreadnoughts with soulburner petards and a thousand suns attachment, and that's it. It's just really simple. Really, yeah. good boy is so funny spammy. though. Any because he was actually doing Facebook reporting on this. I was, if oh. you can't tell, I was a lonely bachelor this weekend, so I actually followed Warhammer about as closely as you possibly can from home. Oh, man. <laughs> uh, shout out to the app, of course. It's in, And if you sub to it, you can see all the lists and all that stuff. It's amazing. But uh, Goat Boy is so funny because he always he's a friend of mine, so I, I get to hear this every time. But every time he goes to a tournament, he's like, I just I just threw together what I had. I just painted this shit up. I don't know. It's like six dreadnoughts. And I'm like, no, it's fucking not, Goat Boy. All right? You're well, trying to win with your special snowflake list. You want to be special. <laughs> you are fucking gorgeous models i get that part but he's just like i don't know it's nine demon princes I'm like shut the f- you think that's a re- get out of here he so pablo he, you gotta be careful you're giving too much credit here he does have a tendency to run lists that are kind of bullshit looking and say they are what he had yeah yeah 
Um, and I think his list is probably the most bullshit-looking list in the top nine. <laughs> I think so. Yeah. It can't be the Dark Eldar players. And the Inari players, didn't. they only ran, like, like maybe nine Dark Reapers between them both. I don't think you'll see, you'll just see one unit of Dark Reapers in most Yanari lists these days, because you can only, you can only Word of the Phoenix one of them, and you have some potential other targets for that spell anyway, yeah. so you'll just see one block of a good number of them, and then a bunch of other stuff. That's true. But, but one, the Talk player had 30 Rangers and 40 Storm Guardians. Yeah, the and... Storm Guardians are interesting. The Rangers <laughs> yeah. are like, everyone knows Rangers are good at this point. Yeah, that's true. I mean, you usually don't They're see just 30. The, yeah. Yeah. Anyways. They're good. Finally, they hold objectives. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They're great. Uh, Eric Buger with, with Necrons. Um, I, I don't I don't know. I, Jessica Bowman, every time I, I see her play, she always has a good Necron list. But I don't know if Necron players have figured out the Necron list because I've seen oh, a lot of different have. ones. Okay. So, Jeff, tell tell me what the Necron list is. is it, and is like it this one? There's like two or three of them. Okay. And it's, it, 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 you can totally – and I, I normally don't encourage this, but I encourage you guys to – judge the character of the person based off their necron list so there's the <laughs> triple tesseract list and that's oh the, yeah that's the cave dwelling uh you know that that is mm. a special breed of human right there <laughs> uh and 99 percent of the time by the way this is my favorite when you go you brought three tesseract bolts so be like i know isn't it bullshit oh my god and, and i just want to punch them in the dick until it disappears but there's the other uh necron list and i won't bore you with all the details because it basically boils down to how many destroyers can i fit into my list and most of mm. these guys <laughs> uh have at least a unit of six that's if you're really looking to be a balanced necron player but this guy for instance has a unit of six a unit of five and a unit of five and then everything after that is the cheerleader squad so he's got a couple uh canaptic wraiths Oh, he actually has six. He has a unit of six, unit of six, and a unit of three. No, that's Scarab. So two units of six and a unit of three. We're already up to like 1,500 points, by the way. Yeah. And then he's got not two units of small units of Canaptic Scarabs. He's got a Cryptek to just keep more Destroyers alive. And then Destroyer mm -hmm. Lord to give him the sweet, sweet buffs. And that's it. That's the entire list. But he's got wow. a tan so, Nightbringer. Does he have that in there? Yeah, he does. Just chilling. See him. It's all right. But, but, um... Yeah, oh, yeah, there it is. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I agree. I agree, Jeff. I don't. Reese Reese runs really interesting Necron lists, um, but he also runs destroyers. Um, and then well, has, everyone should. You should. Yeah, it's they're not really bad good. destroyers. I'm not making fun of that. It's just yeah. funny. They are the Virtus Praetors. Like they're just so damn good at at shooting and killing that, and yeah. they're hard to remove. Um, that you're going to see a lot of them. Yeah, yeah, the thing that blew me away on them is their infantry. I was like, wait, what? Yeah, uh, and just being able to get that cover save, so they're sitting on a two up almost all the time, is pretty huge. Yeah. All right. So, what do you guys? Just looking at the Alamo GT. Obviously, we have one more tournament to cover, so so it might not be best I to draw too many conclusions. Um, but uh, let me ask a question, then we we'll get to your comment because I think yes. we're both going to the same direction. Um, what what direction or how? What do you guys think of this meta game? This it's a lot more open. Um, and obviously Dark Elder had a powerful weekend this weekend, but I don't think they're the, the amazing Riptide, Wolfstar, you know, Wave Serpent Spam list of yeah. old. Pablo, um, I'm going to do the professional host thing and I'm going to take your question and I'm going to kind of answer it, but really just kind of cram in what I wanted to say in there. And I do think it. we're going to talk about similar things. <laughs> I am really pleased if you look at this top 10, but if you look at the whole tournament in its whole, 
you're seeing a pretty damn good variety of, of armies. You're seeing a pretty damn good variety in lists. You're seeing different units as well. Uh, there's definitely been times in Warhammer, and I just got done making fun of this to some degree with Necrons, but it, it really is uh, diminished from where it was, where we're seeing a lot of different kinds of lists too, which I really, really enjoy. Obviously, some of the same elements are out there. Um, there definitely is like a shiny syndrome, like a, all the other players at the same time realize running three flyers is really cool. <laughs> I don't know who's to blame for that, but they all agree. So uh, I'm, I'm actually going to blame Nick Notavani because he Nick specifically Nottavani? called it out on his blog. Okay, uh, it's Nick Notavani's fault. Uh, but as far as meta goes, um, I, I, I really feel like Warhammer is moving in a very fun and exciting place. And it's kind of cool to say this too. God damn that train. I don't know why. He's celebrating He's your celebrating announcement. the yeah. diversity of 40k. You'd think <laughs> I live at a train station. I don't. I just live next to tracks. But anyways, moving past that, I, I really enjoy that even in this post-FAQ world, uh, you know, I was kind of worried we'd see five guard players up here and three Tau lists, and the three mm-hmm. Tau lists were just triple Riptide and 150 Fire Warriors and buffing guys behind it, and that was what it was going to be. But with good terrain, with a variety of codexes coming out and stuff like that, we're seeing that diversity. And I'm, I know this is just... Uh, I basically have GW's entire scrotum in my mouth right now, but I really am enjoying it just to kind of lay the groundwork. Yeah. yeah. And yeah, uh, I was going to say the same thing, lead to it. Jeff took it away. I I think uh, we're certainly going to see the meta be very unstable for a month or two here as people are figuring out. Everyone is saying like, oh my God, gun lines are going to dominate the game. They probably aren't. Um, some of them will do well, but a lot of them mm. won't. Um, what exactly it will settle into is still hard to say, but I think what GW did with the FAQ did really improve the game. It is it has changed what is viable and what is going to be winning, yeah. and it has made more lists viable, and especially these new codices have helped that a lot, too. Um, yep. Like We have some very good new books that are changing the way the game has to be played. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So let's talk about the Storm of Silence. Uh, GT, which just barely squeaked out a major, um, which is a 58-player minimum. They had exactly 58 players. Um, and uh, we had another Jack Elder player, uh, John Paul Moet, a really good 40k player. Um, he's won two... He's been the best of factions in IGC for two factions two years in a row. Um, so he's a really good player. He's kind of coming back into competitive 40k this year. Uh, he took a like a year-long break. But he was running Dark Eldar with a Lytok allies. He had um, a unit or a Blackheart battalion with two Archons, five by five Fire Warriors, three Ravagers, two Raiders, two Venoms, um, and then a Farseer Skyrunner, three Swooping Hawks, and then the uh, triple Air Wing. Um, so the two mm-hmm. two Hemlocks and a Crimson Hunter. So he's running pretty much the the best that all the other players are running at the Alamo GT. The best aspects of all their lists and just put them into his list into a nice efficient bubble, which is actually what JP does. Um, he does that with competitive X-Wing, too. He's a really good X-Wing mm-hmm. player. Um, yeah, I've I've played him a number of times at Storm and other events, and he, he's a good player, and he's I think he's hit on a lot of what's strong about the army. It's not the only yeah. Dark Eldar list you can bring, but it's definitely one variation, just focusing heavily on all of these transports with guys in them. Yeah. Uh, so so this, this particular list um, basically breaks down into uh, your Cabalite Warriors... Um, hang out in your Venoms and your Raiders, and they do the thing that they're supposed to do, which is stay in the transports until the transports die, and then they hop on an objective and pitter-patter. That's what they do. 
They might stay mm-hmm. back and get you like recon if you need it or whatever. Um, he's got three Ravagers for long range shooting, killing. Um, I'm not sure. I'm not sold on the three Ravagers. There's actually a, a relentless D chat. We were talking about the viability of it, um, and we think that things like triple storm lords would, are are going to be actually really really good what? in this meta. Personally, uh, maybe, huh. maybe uh, we could be completely wrong. That's... It's it's just that's, that's why a... we haven't heard from you guys at tournaments in a while. Right, right. Because we have because oh. we've been running the not not but um but but all joking aside, um we we were just we were talking about it um and triple stormlords and that that pocket guard detachment with the catachans that everyone seems to be moving to, mm-hmm. um just sounds really good um and you know they beat things like ravagers and crimson hunters. Well, it doesn't outscore it though. You're right. You're right. That's why you, the guard have to put in a lot of work. Yeah. Um, but they can do that. The guard with with the right terrain at a place like the LVO, uh, things like the guard battalion really shine because they can hide in these buildings. Um, they can group up with their infantry squad combining, uh, and then when the Catachan squad's ready, with like forty dudes just come roaring out of a building and move, 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 tie up your half your army with plus two to their save and minus one to hit, and uh, three attacks each. Just a thought. Yeah, maybe. I don't, I don't know. I'm not necessarily sold on it, but this probably isn't the episode we want to argue Absolutely over not. how that works. <laughs> but um, to your point, that that it's fun that guard lists have moved in that direction. We're seeing, like you said, assault Catachan, but then also like maybe not triple Stormlord. That's a bit. Let's call it extreme, just for you know polite sakes, I suppose. <laughs> but you are seeing more super tanks, which is really fun because that was like kind of a funny thing to see. Like, oh, you brought a Bane Blade. Look at you. Mm-hmm. But now, <laughs> almost all the really good guard lists do include a Shadow Sword or maybe a Stormlord or some of these. Things. Oh, yeah. I meant Shadow Sword, not Stormlord. Oh ah, man, I, I just pissed tank. off some guard. I just pissed <laughs> off some guard players. They're like Sh- or Stormlord Pablo. You're a scrub. They're yeah. always mad, anyways. Don't, uh, don't worry. The Shadow the Sword naming on all the Baneblade variants is atrocious. It's like the yeah. Storm Shadow the, Lord the, the Master. Bane Hammer Sword. Yeah. Uh, Com- combine any of those two words together. And you get a random tank with a gun. <laughs> Metallica one... and guard armies use the same name generator. Let's just put it that way. Yeah. Yeah. But um to just to retcon myself, Shadow Sword, not Stormlord. Okay. Shadow Sword. The yeah. good one. I think right. the Stormlord is better than people give it credit for, but again, different discussion, different day. Alright. <laughs> um any more comments on JP's list? Just that it's fun seeing um I do like this not to not to like put JP in this place, but I do like the post rule of three world where I look at this list and it, it feels more balanced. You know, I, there was still a part of me less so than other people, but when like a tournament list winning was like, Oh, they ran four fire Raptors. I'm like, yeah, okay. That sounds stupid. You know, but I look at this and I go a good general won this tournament. This is a good balanced, heavy hitting list. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's got, it's got the Eldar mixture in there. It's got Dark Eldar and Alatok coming together. And not just doing an orgy, by the way. They're doing other things, too, which is just awesome. Yeah. All right. So let's talk about this Tyranid list because it has Jane Steeler Colt in it. And I've been debating whether Alex McDougal, um, Alex McDougal's Gene Steeler Colt, if he won despite his Gene Steeler Colt or won because mm. of them. Um, so this list, he's got a uh, Hive Tyrant with uh, flying, a flying Hive Tyrant with, actually, yeah, with wings, uh, Swarm Lord. Gene Stealers, Hormagaunts, Ripper Swarms for troops, a unit of six Hive Guard, and then a Gene Circle Battalion with a Magus, a Primus, a unit of eight Acolyte Hybrids, two small units of Neophyte Hybrids, um, and then an Astro Militarum Detachment with a bunch of heavy weapon teams, mortar teams, and uh, tank commander, two tank commanders? No, 
one tank commander with a Punisher Gatling cannon, and then one company commander with the Karabzakila. Um, so it's a fun list. It's really cool to look at this. Um, Alex McDougal, we have to give Val his day in the sun. He couldn't join us because uh, he had he had some family hanging out to do. But uh, he calls Alex McDougal the nemesis of the um, Chapter Taxes podcast because at the same tournament he beat Val, which I guess isn't that big of a deal because everybody beats Val. But Ooh, harsh. at the same tournament, uh, Alex McDougal dreamt he dreamt beyond you know what most people would consider realistic reached for the stars and also managed to beat me at this tournament. So that, that is just mm. an amazing one, two punch there. And for people that don't understand, cause uh, sarcasm in general, I am being sarcastic, but anyways, this is a fun list and cool. And I do like your comment about, did it win despite the um, cult, the, the genes or cult thing? Here's the thing. If you ask the player without a shadow of a doubt, if they place in the top 10, the answer is absolutely not. They were amazing. They were great. They did so well for me. I'm going to take them again. If they if he does poorly with it, it's the worst thing he's ever seen in his life. So in this case, <laughs> he likes them. But I do like that, kind of like with Eldar, where they've kind of settled into a, this is the elements that we make our list with. Tyranids are as follows. Mm-hmm. It's almost always at least one flyer, but more often you're seeing three. It's about the 213 build out, which is with wings, monsters. It's the classic build out that we saw at um, Adepticon, just, you know, 20-ish points more or whatever. Yeah, it's still um, good at but, that cost. <laughs> yeah, but then we're seeing the unit of six Hive Guard, which I think is an improvement on on my early kind of belief where I had like a unit of three and then I had Biovores behind that. The point hike in Biovores and just in general, their role, I feel like for Terranids is kind of diminished. And then anything less than six for the Hive Guard is just not that good. But... Uh, another unit of Hive Guard doesn't benefit from anything. So usually you just see the one unit of six, and that's your fire base, which is really good. Yeah. And then a lot of people are doing Swarm Lord and Gene Sealers to hike them up the field, just be aggressive. Well, and that's sort of a counter to that, like, oh, everyone's going to play gun lines. It's like, well, if your gun line gets assaulted turn one, who cares how well it shoots? Right. Uh, and to your point on the Hive Guard, like, yeah, being able to take advantage of that double shoot stratagem, which is a fantastic stratagem. Um, just having those guys hiding in a ruin, dropping out those strength eight D three damage shots, will give a lot of list fits. Yeah, they're they're amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the, and the reason why I brought the Gene Circle Detachment is it's not it's a battalion, it's a min battalion. So so maybe you could argue that it's still min Gene Circle Detachment, but it's not the what I would expect to see, which is like one Primus or actually Icon Ward, and then. A full guard detachment, a full tyranny de- detachment. Um, well, I like I like the I philosophy expect. behind it. It's got the big gene sir unit. Um, it's got twenty nine hormigons, which can also fly up the field and tie you up and give you enough time that if you didn't get turn one assaulted by gene sirs and swarm lord, you're certainly getting turn two assaulted. So yeah, uh, a lot of lists can deal with hormigons, and that's where this would run into trouble. Although at this tournament, I have to say it didn't. It won all its games, and Alex McDougal is a great general. Um, but I love the philosophy behind that list. And then what I do like about the Gene Sir Cold is, again, they're pretty good in ITC. Um, a lot of people, myself included, uh, back in 7th edition, got really kind of enamored with the idea of just fucking going balls to the wall attacking with Gene Sir Cold, which I still think with, with their codex is probably where you want to take it. But as a detachment for Terranids, those little pockets of Acolytes and stuff like that, they're not durable by any means. They, they do hit okay hard, but I'm suspecting the way he used them is a lot like um, swooping hawks or you know some of these other things where they just go out and get an objective and sit on it they replace the scouts they replace the nerglings they'll beat those guys easily um, and then they just sit there and score points 
Um, yeah, that's. I think that is where the strength of them comes in, is their ability to hop in and out of uh, reserves and just sort of show up wherever you need them to. Makes mm-hmm. them, maybe not great, but flexible, and that is something Tyranids can sometimes lack, because Tyranid units like Eldar units tend to be very, like, mono-role. They do one thing, they do it well, but they can't really do anything else. Except the Flyer. Except the flyer and who is good at everything. <laughs> you only had one, though. One flyer. Not 12. Yeah, which is surprising. Which is interesting, yeah. I tend to see either two or three, like Jeff was saying. Right. Uh, so let's talk about this other Tyranid list that had uh, a lot more flyers. Um I count three flyers, so triple the flyers. Yep, that makes sense. Uh, Swarmlord, Narrowthrope, two, two large Genestar squads of 19, um, uh, Ripper to round out the troop choice, six Hiveguard per the usual, and 12 Gargoyles. For kicks, yeah. Oh, and a sporocyst, so which is a big deal. We saw a couple more of those as well. They're really good. Um, sporocyst for only like I think it's 124, 129 points. You're pumping out mortal wounds. It's got like a threat bubble of about eighteen inches or so. Mm-hmm. Uh, they do infiltrate, so it's one of the, if not, it, it well, it's one of the only ways Terrence can do that. Um, which of course is not as big of a deal, but I suspect as time goes on with Alpha Legion, Stygie, some of these other things, kind of still having the ability to take up the middle of the field, that'll, you'll see a little bit more of these. Um, but the three Hive Tyrants is, is kind of the basis, the six Hive Guard. Like, if, if someone says, like, Uncle Jeff, how do I start Tyranids? It's three Flyerants, six Hive Guard, <laughs> go from there. Um, and I really yeah. like the two units of Gene Stealers with the Swarm Lord, again, boosting them up the field. Um, the gargoyles are really interesting. That's something you won't see very often. They have deep strike, and with adrenaline, that's an eight-inch charge off the deep strike. So obviously not turn one. Uh, a little bit like um, Hormagons, their idea is to tie something up. But yeah. it's kind of an interesting part of the list because they hit. I mean, they're termagons. They're termagons with wings. So try to wrap your head around that. <laughs> Twelve of them is not guaranteed. Close. In fact, they don't. They probably just flat out don't kill scouts or uh nerglings they don't lose to them per se but they don't replace them they're not obsec and mm-hmm. then tying up anything like a front line something they don't do that at all um unless it's literally a unit of nine guardsmen or something like that they're not going to hold them up so that part of his list i'm a little bit like yeah how'd you use that i'd be, I'd be very curious I feel like that may have been a just sort of like I had these points, I had to spend them on something, another small yeah. horde mm-hmm. unit, or maybe like a small scoring unit to sort of like hop onto objectives as needed. Yeah. Um, yeah. But okay. it does yeah. feel like an an unusual choice compared with the rest of his list. And that's where it's funny with Terran is because oftentimes, like you said, there's like mono purposes for them. Uh-huh. For me, maybe, and again, you have to kind of factor this in, maybe it just doesn't own the models, but like that's what Ripper should do. Yes. You should always just have 33 yeah. point I, I would rippers. I would have imagined that to be two squads of rippers instead of a unit of gargoyles, but presumably he had a reason for doing what he did. Yeah. 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 And he's by by the way, Matt Evans, one of the nicer guys you can encounter. Um annoyingly, he went um to Adeptus Mechanicus after I did, and he went Terranus after I did. So I'm waiting yeah. for the custodians to come out from him. And if it doesn't happen, then something's really messed up and I gotta make a trip to Colorado to see if he's okay. <laughs> All right. Um, speaking of Adeptus Custodes, we're going skip, to skip Mitch Pelham, talk about Kristen Broxen, um, with, uh, went 4-1 with just Dawn Eagle Jetbikes. So he had 18 yeah. Dawn Eagle Jetbikes and two Shield Captains, 
for well, I want to talk about four command feet, points. But you can you can spend about two minutes talking about the custodies list because it literally is like you said eighteen. <laughs> it 20, has it's one twenty jet bikes. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Um, but he went. And I was good. Well, so he in the last round beat Jeremy, a good friend of mine and a fantastic general who also took a deputy's custodies. Uh, but he talked about his game. It's really interesting because he was. You know, Jeremy's French. So there's always a little bit of disgust in anything he talks about, but it's, <laughs> but when he's actually disgusted, it's it's you know it's palpable. Um, but this list, uh, we were talking earlier, but I mean, the guard detachment will score you some points, right? This doesn't even have a guard detachment. This is literally just all bikes and two shield captains. Zero, yeah. zero scoreability on this list. He only has two missile salvos, which is fine. But otherwise, it's just all bolters and all I'm getting up in your grill and murdering your face. And the fact that he won all of his games except for round two. So he lost to JT Moet. Yeah, the, the winner of the tournament. And he scored 33, 35, 34, and then 24. That's really <laughs> impressive. And I would love yeah. it if somebody would ask him. Somebody on Facebook or Pablo, if you really want to do investigative journalism, I'd love to hear how he feels about it post-tournament. Because he did very well with a list that is not scoring at all. Yeah, and, and I don't know how you... It's not a terrible list to score on, right? You just you pick Gangbuster on one of the jet bikes units, and then... Only gets you three. Gets you three points. I mean, three points is better than anything else, right? I think you, you had an idea, Pablo, and you're about to find how bad that is. Right? No, like, maybe, maybe you're right. Well, there's so two characters. So, so you can't pick Headhunter. Um, you probably shouldn't pick um, Old School. Uh, and nope, because they can swap. <clears throat> You're not going to get first strike on this list. You're right. not going to kill something first strike. Not unless right, right. you shoot real um, hard. Recon's probably really easy, as probably behind enemy lines, depending on your list. Um, unless he commits one unit of bikes to go kill. I mean, just, recon probably, if you have little, little things. Yeah. Uh, behind enemy lines is two units, though, and if you do that, he just has to send one unit of six over there, and they will murder both in one or two turns. Yeah, but then he's not devoting... You know, yeah, he's only he's, devoting 14 he's, he's bikes. He's throwing here. a third of his only list. Only 14 at... bikes are at you then. Oh my god. Yeah. That's a lot of bikes. I agree. That's but the kill power in all my lists. But, you know, <laughs> that's, that's it. A, that's a six models covering your entire your entire uh, deployment edge. Right? Six models. You know. Or he just takes one of the shield captains, even, which is kind of funny, right? Yeah. Yeah, I think just that would be the itself. more likely is like the, your, <clears throat> the shield captain just zips over, hurricane bolters one thing, charges another. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, anyways, um, but other than that, you so you pick game. What what do you pick your secondaries against this guys? Because uh, I think it's kind of easy to score secondaries on, but obviously you guys mm. disagree. It's well, no. So that's the thing. So you got to keep in mind. Maybe you can. Let's take your scenario and give it the affirmative. You do get recon. You do get behind enemy lines. The third one's a little bit skeptical as to as to what you get. You're probably not getting full points on that. But oh, by the way, eighteen bikes are in your face. That's true. So That's true. he he won all of his games. I almost guarantee you by murdering his opponent, not by yeah. like outscoring them. Yeah, I, I mean you can't beat him. He'll kill more units than you, because especially in this meta, um, which which favors small little units. Yeah. Um, so he'll kill more units than you every turn. He's gonna so, get kill more. He's gonna get kill more and kill. And then hold. he can probably hold one because all those jet bikes are obsec. Yeah. So he's going to charge onto whatever objective you're holding and steal it out from under you. Even if he doesn't kill everything you have, he still takes the objective. Um, but this guy, by the way, has it's uh, it's seven command points, right? 
No, it's it's four. It's four, yeah, four points. points. He is. Down you want to know what he spent one hundred percent of the time in all of his games? Victor of the Blood Games. No. I don't know. I don't know. Three command points were spent on swooping attack in yep. every single one of his games. Yeah, swooping so attack in one. Are all near each other. They push up. They they daca the fuck out of whatever screen you have, whatever front line you have. And then if you do have a heavy hitter, if one of the you know if you come at them at all, if your list is the one that's like, well, I'm the guy that's supposed to be attacking, you're getting countercharged by one of those units, and it swings first, and it kills whatever it swings first at. Yeah, the mm. the 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 swooping intercept is just super super good for stopping a melee charge because it means you swing ahead of anything, even if it has a swings first rule. Yeah. So this list like cancels out basically any melee that you ever counted on. So that's why it's almost no surprise that the guy that beat him and pretty handily uh, is JP, who's, if you look at his list, the two, the three flyers could probably fly up on a unit and absolutely nuke it. And then, mm-hmm. yeah, okay, you charge the other the flyers and maybe probably kill both or three, uh, that or at least two of the three, because the other one's probably further away. But then you're getting shot at by that gun line for another turn or two, and yeah. you're down to one unit. And yeah, you're having then... to eat the overwatches the, on the charge and everything, too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. J- JP's JP's real strategy is the Ravagers will eventually kill another unit of jet bikes um, fairly mm-hmm. quickly. Uh, and then the their Wraith Fighters, you pretty much sacrifice to kill one. And then you have Swooping Hawks, so they'll get you your max recon points. Yeah. Um, and then from there, you just board control well, and he's got a ton of poison that he's just sort of dumping mm-hmm. on those guys oh yeah i'm on fours all game long he just he's just forcing a numbers game on him and that list can't handle attrition yeah yeah uh, yeah jp that's exactly what he does he can even wither one squad down to like three dudes and then charge it with an archon and and hope he doesn't fail the two up in right but i'd love it's to hear dicey. from him. Like, yeah uh, it, oh, it yeah. would definitely be interesting yeah if you're gonna keep that list with you know post on facebook post on the competitive uh page or whatever we'd love to hear about it um i want to talk about mitch's list actually all right let's talk about mitch mm-hmm. Melham's list uh he still so, brought artemia pattern hellhounds of course yeah <laughs> if you play brought guard you're not taking those and eight you're a bit of, of a silly goose aren't you i think it's nine was it nine let's see uh, no, no, you might be right it might be eight. i yeah, i like, heard like he, eight. he posted elsewhere mm-hmm. and mentioned eight but i'm not certain okay. about that yeah, there's, I, there's eight. I, mean, I said this before, but not publicly enough, so I want to declare it again, which feels a little bit weaker now that he's already done this, but I think his list gets better post-FAQ. I think 11 or 14 Hellhounds is a worse list than 8 or 9 supported by Blood Angels and other things. Yeah. I, I think his list is better. I agree. No, I kind uh, of agree. Yeah, the, he's still got, he's got the Shadow Sword. Um, his Blood Angels attachment's kind of weird. It's just a captain with a jump pack. At Stormshield Thunderhammer, so Smashfucker Captain, but a single one. And then uh, Librarian with the Quickening Wings of Sanguinus. It's kind of like a baby Mephiston. I feel mm-hmm. like he could have found 21 more points for Mephiston, period. Um, yeah. And then gotten that third power and the, the super sword, the strength 10 sword, and everything. And the two-up um, save and all that other stuff, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, I don't know where you could... Uh, looking through his list, I think I could probably find 20 points somewhere. Um, in the list. There's got to be something, yeah. Yeah, there's, there's a lot of oh, stuff. Oh, yeah, he's got mortars and heavy wounds. Seems like. Yeah, and then a Shadow Sword, um, which is not the Stormlord, the Shadow Sword. Right. Uh, and that's it. That's this pretty much the Artemia Pattern Hellhounds. They do their thing like they did before. The Shadow Sword kills things the pattern, the Hellhounds can't. And then he's got some characters and infantry to run around and flush mm-hmm. things out of buildings, which I think is probably why he brought the Blood Angels detachment. So you get the scouts have mm-hmm. really good building control. Um, and then the two characters can go in there and, and kill 
little things that bother the scouts, that kid that don't get hellhounded. Yeah, so, it's a good list. Yeah, it is. It. It's a really good list. Uh, Rob Porter from Alaska, down in Spokane, yeah. Washington. Um, he's actually running. He's been running Admex since Eighth Edition dropped, um, and he actually has a really interesting, uh, mm-hmm. different Admex list. He's got one Admex detachment with a tech priest and forty-five Fulgrite electro priests. Um, mm-hmm. I think yeah. are those the melee ones? They yeah. are. Yeah. <clears throat> So that's 720 points right there in 45 models. Um, a company commander with two primary psychers and 30 guardsmen. So no mortar teams in the. Actually, yeah, he does have mortar teams in them. So three units of nine. Harker, four basilisks, and then three shield captains on Donegal jet bikes. So he's kind of running the um, <clears throat> kind of traditional uh, gun line, guard gun line uh, with counter charges, counter charge elements. This is the He's, fantastic synergy I was waiting on. Go ahead, Sean. Uh, is is he Stygies eight for his? Uh, yes. Okay, so he's actually probably not using those uh, electro pieces counter charge. They're probably a forward element because they mm, have yeah, the they alpha sti- alpha legion style sneak them in strategy. Okay. Um, I've seen this a couple times before, although not with as many of them. Full ride electro priests hit really hard if you soup up all their stratagems. They can be pumping out tons of mortal wounds and like strength six AP two D three damage swings. Um, and once they've murdered a unit in close combat, they get that three up invuln and they become surprisingly tough because they're three up invuln five up feel no pain. Mm-hmm. Um, their problem is they pretty much have to go first. Um, if they don't go first, they're just going to get like boltered down and will die fairly easily. Uh, yep, but model. yeah, actually, I think they're toughness four. Nope. Are they? Oh, yep, okay. Uh, but yeah, they're just, they're not that tough until you've actually killed something with them. And they're a melee unit that is really reliant on getting up in the enemy's face. So it's definitely an interesting idea, but he's probably going more aggressive with it rather than using them as a counter charge. What's the synergy, cool Jeff? Yeah, so... <laughs> synergy! <laughs> On time. Um, but when I... So I have a, a gigantic Adeptus Mechanicus army, and I'm excited to start kind of melding it with the elements that I already have. I, I think the guard detachment is one of the first things you see. Um, Adeptus Mechanicus, like anything else, I don't know that there's really... Not that we need to get into the discussion, but basically everybody wants command points. That guard detachment is going to give you a lot. And then the Basilisk is the indirect fire, because that's one of the things that Adeptus Mechanicus really su- suffer from, is if they're behind terrain or annoyingly in the corner, your Dragoons could run over there, I guess. Uh, your you know your Infiltrators, if you laughably took any of that, if they're still alive, yeah, okay, they can kind of deal with it, maybe. Um, but the Codex just really kind of lacks that ability. Well, Basilisk shore that up. They're not going to necessarily make someone crap their pants but they're going to give you the ability to be like oh god i really need that thing to take some hits right now or to start working on it well here you go um and then the electro priest is something you're going to see more of right now again i'm not sure if we can just blame nick not without i mean maybe he did it but <laughs> there's actually a few people running lists similar to this where it's several units of these priests they just pose a huge problem because they get around the deep striking thing so mm-hmm. maybe Maybe the meta goes a funny direction where people are like, well, if they can't deep strike me turn one, then I need less defense against turn one charge or something like that. I think that's what you're going to see a lot of is people are going to assume, oh, they can't assault me turn one. It's like, ooh, actually, you will still see that pretty often. Yep. And like Sean said, if these guys murder a unit, then they go up to a three plus plus. Yeah. But the kind of funny thing about that is they, they start so darn close 
but they also pose the problem of like if you're if you don't have DACA, they're you know you're you're in trouble. You're in a lot of trouble because that's that, mm-hmm. that's the answer for them. And then with this list, if you are shooting last cannons or melters or plasma at them, <laughs> cool. There's three separate units of them. They always get a save of some sort. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then there's three shield captains and a gun line to deal with. It scores well. It hits hard. It's got counter charge. The shield captains have salvos, which I think is an interesting choice because I feel like for their role, um, they're more often than not on your own half the table. But maybe the way he played them is, okay, I've got my priests out there. Here comes three characters right behind him. Yeah, yeah that's the assumption I would make, although I don't think that's necessarily the only way to do them. Like, you yeah. could run this more defensively, certainly. Yeah. I love it. I love this list. I think uh, Rob Porter's a guy to look out for because if he's a any kind of good general, which the results would say that he is, this is a a very good list. It has all the elements I would look for. Yeah, and, and Rob I've is a phenomenal his, player. I've seen yeah. his name around the mm-hmm. tournaments in the Northwest occasionally, so I'm I'm presuming that he's pretty good. I haven't played him myself. Yeah, I want to give Rob a shout out. He lives in Alaska. Um, when I went up to visit, uh, I played him in the finals in the Battlezone Ursa uh, event that I went up to, um, and he beat me. It was actually very close, and um, he's uh, one part of the Mooga Legion, so for those of you who don't know, the Mooga Legion, yeah, John Paul Mouet, he's in the Mooga Legion, Rob Porter, uh, Colin Sherman, a guy who last year kind of took over for a while, kind of like his rookie season debut, (laughs) Um, and they just have a lot of really good players, and, and they play a lot of good quality 40k um they, yeah, they treat it like a, a lot of good people yeah and then um we had a uh demon player and a light talk player and a space marine player finish up the top 10 with uh four and one x and one lists um i want to talk about the space marine player wow, Pablo. what's up we could talk about the space marine player but you're just gonna skip over that team zero comp Mr. Johansson here like that okay <laughs> harsh i'm, I'm making his around. return I, to bu yeah. <laughs> um so we'll go back to Matt. We'll go back to Matt a little bit. Um, I saw a Space Marine player, and I, I, you know, I'm a Space yeah. Marine guy, and the codex is pretty bad. But anyways, so he's got a Tech Marine with server harness, a uh, bunch of company veterans with nothing special, a Relics of Karen, Venator, Tank Destroyer, a Demon, how many Predators is that? Three Predators, a Quad Launcher, Rapier Character. Yeah, the Space Marine list is all over the place. Uh, Zyphon Interceptor, Gilliman. And a vulture gunship. There he is. There you go. He went four and one. Um, uh, Krishna Ayala, you you are you must be a really good general because that space marine list is um not a top tier space marine list. It's not even a top tier list for, for sure. It, it it feels like it's basically a gun line who didn't get any like really bad matchups during the course of the tournaments. Yeah, yeah, and and Christian, I, I don't want to take anything away from your space marine list. I'm a huge Oof. space marine fan, um, but it's. It's uh, not something you're going to see at a top table that I think you guys should plan to see um, well. consistently. But I might be wrong. I might just take over the scene and we'll we'll have a ton of Predators and Gilliman and Xiphon Interceptors. I think it's a list you'll see, or maybe not you know, this exact list, but a list of Gilliman plus various yeah, Space Marine shooting elements. Uh, it's still well, it's a list you'll a funny, see. It's just a funny Gilliman effect, though. You look at the list and you're like, this isn't very good. But then you take into account rerolling all misses and, and wounds and you go, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. It all of a sudden becomes a pretty good list, it's, actually. It's going to shoot really hard. The question is whether it can do other stuff to back that up. Right. Well, scouts and shooting together is a pretty yeah. good combo. So, like, it, I mean, but if you look at a score, it kind of tells the, the tale of the tape, if you will. Like, the game you lost, 
four points. Guess what happened to him? I'm guessing he got charged. Yeah. If if I had to guess, it stinks of Custodes. Even I would even I don't even know who he played. I'm going to go <laughs> ahead and make this really crazy prediction. It was Custodes. Uh, but then his other games, he scored middling twenty points, with one of them being twenty nine, but the rest falling between twenty five and twenty two. Sounds um, about right. That sounds about right for a gun line, right? He's, like the scouts he's held around for a while and then everything fell off, but he killed them. Yeah, yeah, just you know, they don't have enough stuff to weather through all the fire after chewing up the scouts. Yeah. All right, so let's talk about these two Eldar lists. Um, Matt Johansson, uh, take it away, Jeff. Uh-huh. Just your typical Yunari kind of mix, but he's a he's a phenomenal general. He came over from Idaho. That's one of the kind of fun things about the Washington scene is it's really starting to kind of you've got people coming down from Alaska. You've got Washington's got a great scene. Oregon has some people that kind of traveled over there, and then Idaho. So the, the Pacific Northwest, um, the Mugu Legion's going to become like the Mugu, I don't know, thro- what's bigger than a legion, but something. <laughs> Legion. Um, he did take. Oh, wow. There you go. He did take some Dark Eldar, so he has the like Triple Ravager with the Shock Prow, which is really funny. Use salt with that. Yeah. An Archon, because two open bulls are good. And then he has kind of the... We're going to see more wave serpents these days as well. That's kind of the hot ticket item right now for some reason. I think it's because... They're really good. They're very they're, I mean, tough. yeah, they're good, but it's uh, just funny because people are like, what What can I spam now? And they're like, well, they live in everything else. They're like, well, I can still spam wave serpents. It's like, yeah, I guess so. Yeah, I've, I think you'll see people try that and not do great with it. They just don't have that much damage output. Uh, yeah, but I, they are very hard to kill, and the big thing they do is, like, you can hide that unit of Dark Reapers or all your characters or whatever inside of them to protect them turn one. Uh, they're not in reserves, they can go where you need them to, because the Serpent is good at moving them around, but yeah. it's just super good at protecting a unit. And then the rest of the, uh, it's 1200 points of uh, Yanari with his, some Dark Reapers, some Spears, you know, kind of that mix, the, mm-hmm. like, Nick Nanabadi's, um fruit salad of sorts yeah well the like um, he's just a good general the one of everything to take advantage of all your soul bursts basically right yeah i uh, think that's what you're going to see in a lot of eldar and uh specifically yanari eldar lists is this just sort of like mix of different good things that they can cherry pick and then I, I hope you guys are sitting because i'm going to tell you about this other eldar list are you ready for this aaron becker yep now imagine if you will someone wrote a list and didn't include but not only one fire prism, but three fire prisms. Yeah. So that they can shoot through each other. Because that... Fire prisms? But you know what's funny? They're yeah. so funny. They Like everything else Eldar, though, but these are like the kind of... This is like the really weird uncle that shows up at Christmas because you're like... Uh, but then it turns out it turns out that he's weird because he's a genius and actually invented like an app in the early 1990s and sold it for 700 billion dollars. Like that's what the fire prism <laughs> is. Like yeah, you're, the guy puts it down and you're like, what does it do? He's like, oh, I I got the stretch. You know what? Shut it. Okay, let's just play Warhammer. Then they shoot through one of them, hit yeah. your stuff, and just murder it. Let's, I'm I'm going to specifically call out this stratagem because a lot of people don't know about it and it's really good. One command point uh, it lets you link up your fire prisms, like Jeff was saying, so they can draw a line of sight off each other and range and all this other stuff. Also, it lets you re-roll all failed hits and wounds for all your fire prisms that shoot together. Oh my together god. Hits and for, wounds. For one command point. Ugh. I have been running fire prisms kind of on and off, not in like my full-on competitive list, but in you know like semi-competitive lists at local terms tournaments and oh, stuff they're so brutal that's how you win narrative events that, you know that actually is how i won narrative yes it's we had fire prisms linked together and like shooting across the table blowing up shadow swords it's fluffy what's the strategy called sean what's that what's the strategy called uh 
Linked Fire, I believe. Incorrect. It's oh. called Buy Fire Prisms, please. <laughs> please buy Fire Prisms. Also, it's a really cool model. It's it's fun to build. So yeah, buy Fire Prisms. They're uh, they're pretty solid. They're like 155 points. Uh they're 160 the thing... generally. Yeah. Oh, oh my god. Did you just say that? Yes, they're so expensive. I go th- they're yeah. like 155. He goes, uh, technically. Yeah, five uh, points off. 160 points. Five My points, Anyways, Jeff. The whole mortar. The team. funny thing about them is, <laughs> they it, 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 these units in almost any other codex would be everywhere, but with Eldar, they're they're spoiled for riches. I'm not. Even, really I don't even are. blame Eldar players. They're these are great, but what they also take is great. And what I like about not, I'm not going to do this too much. But what I like about Eighth Edition is Eldar lists are still pretty damn different. You're still seeing different stuff. And with Dark Eldar out in the field, you're going to see them even more different, which I really enjoy. So mm-hmm. uh, I'm trying to say that because it's like really popular to pick on Eldar and be like, I hate you fucking Eldar. But no, it's it's just fun. And it's cool seeing Fire Prisms do well. This guy placed it in the, in the top 10. That's really awesome. Yeah. All right. And then finally, we had a Chaos Demon player, Josh Bagwell. He's a very nice Mr. guy. Bagwell. Yeah, he's good. Um, with uh, Nurglings. Epidemius, uh, Horticulus, Slimux. God, I love these names. <laughs> the, the chaos, yeah. the Nurgle names. Um, uh, Rodigus, two Spoilpox Scriveners, uh, more Nurglings for Plague Bearers, and then two large units of Plague Drones. Um, so Plague Drone Stars. So, and a Beast. Uh, how many Beasts of Nurgle? Seven Beasts of Nurgle. Um, so th- this is just the kind of list. Uh, this is actually some of those lists that you see uh, people like Ryan Mead and Alan Dehessa running down here and because um, yep. we're kind of known for having really good chaos based green player or chaos players down in San Diego, um, yeah, the the uh, drones are so hard to kill, and mm-hmm. just lists in general is just I, I every time I play it, I, I just I can never kill anything. It's like playing Necrons, um, but they don't shoot at all. That's the only difference. Is um, I well, there's it's funny if you look at his score. So it's twenty three, twenty three, twenty five. His loss was 20 and his win was 14. Is that not the most Nurgle fucking scoreline across? If it was just yeah. straight sevens, it would be more Nurgle, I guess. But as it is, that's pretty damn Nurgle. Yeah. That's like right this down the guy, middle. This guy, Mr. Bagwell, showed up. And he has one of the most hilariously radio voices ever, by the way, which is perfect for Nurgle, too. He's like, my name's Josh Bagwell, and this is my Nurgle army. And, and it just probably... <laughs> slowly walked across the table and kind of scored, didn't really kill very much, didn't really die, and that's how you play Nurgle. The The fun thing about Plague Drones is that um, they are dirt cheap. They they can get up to five damage, which is really hilarious. Yeah. But they have no AP, which is like the such a... God bless you, Games Workshop, because that's such a funny Nurgle problem. They're like, God, this is so exciting. Take that! And they're like, all right, what's your save? It's a three-up. What's the damage? 15 if you fail this okay well yeah. i made it god damn it like <laughs> yeah. i almost killed something and that's that's nurgle games yeah 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 it's i th- i think the most interesting part of the list because a lot of that is kind of like the usual nurgle crowd plague drones are you're going to see them all over the place a lot of the hqs are good mm-hmm. but rodigus is an interesting choice there uh, I, a lot of players don't seem to like him. He does feel like he's kind of expensive for what he does. So I'm what actually, I'm kind of curious. Um, 
He's the named yeah. big fat guy. Yeah, he's 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 the named character. He's better in combat than a normal greater unclean one. Oh, okay. Um, he's got some like wacky, unique aura nonsense going on. If remember, if I remember correctly, but he does he, mortal wounds. Yeah, that's nerval. Yeah, he's he, there's nothing like exciting about him. That's like holy shit, that guy. It's just sort of like what is he? He's a big fat dude who punches things. <laughs> he's Rodigus. Yeah. Aha, uh-huh. Rodigus. <laughs> No, great mouse detective. No, look at this list though. Mm-hmm. You can um, so Rodigus is three thirty. Drop Rodigus, find about one hundred and twenty more points, and you got a Mortarian in there. Yeah, yikes. <laughs> um, yeah, and then you got some real damage output. Yeah, because yeah. that guy, and and you can't really afford to ignore him and shoot at other stuff. So, yeah, I think that's maybe the quote unquote better version of this list. But I would definitely be interested in sort of like talking to josh and seeing like so what was the point behind this guy what were you doing with him because he's he's not a bad player he's good right yeah yeah and has got a lot of synergy so I, I i make light of it but to, to sean's point there's probably a reason there's some art or something he's doing there for him. yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that's the sound to uh go to commercial break um so real quick before we go on to the main topic uh i really like the i really like as jeff said the variety in this top 20 if you take both the tournaments combined everyone who, who had one loss or better um there was a couple chaos players a couple tyranids dark eldar eldar space marines imperium you know it was just it's it feels very varied and very different um and i if you just look back at some chapter tactics episodes from like a year ago and just look at like what the meta was around this time um which was inari everywhere riptide wings um, couple wolf stars floating around. Uh, Battle Company was still very popular. Like it's just, it just feels a lot more uh, alive and different. And it might be the product of the FAQ, uh, but it might also be this might be what GW wants out of Eighth Edition. Um, so we'll see with Death Watch Codex, and um, we'll talk about winning ITC missions right after this break. Do you believe the Emperor protects, or do you believe? A false god sits on the golden throne, and death to the false emperor. Regardless of whether you're a loyalist or a traitor, go to www.flyingmonkeycon.com. www.flyingmonkeycon.com is Kansas' biggest wargaming convention, with Warhammer 40k, Warhammer Age of Sigma, Kings of War, X-Wing, Horus Heresy, Narrative Events. It promises to be an amazing event set on the river of Wichita, Kansas at the Drury Inn. Get your tickets soon. The weekend of June 22nd through 24th. Right here in the air, capital of Kansas. See you there. And we're back. Jeff, Sean, Spent about an hour talking about people who've won using ITC missions. Um, so I think it's about time to explain how they did it. Uh, there, there was definitely a lot of good stuff in there. Uh, I, I like that you know, you know it's an ITC event if you see things like infantry squads with a mortar team instead of just a regular plain 10-man infantry squad. That's you know it was an ITC mission event. and there... 19-man squads <laughs> 19 and squads. and whatnot. Yeah. <laughs> And I, I kind of like that, actually, too. It, it it adds a layer of thinking into the game, not just with ITC missions, but the 
make bringing six mans to increase your power level by by to double your power level essentially so you could deep strike more stuff like i kind of like that i kind of like that there's mm-hmm. odd awkward numbers of guys in lists um because it shows that people are fine tuning their lists and, and like that's how you know that the person really thought out their list like just adding and subtracting little models and just little intricacies and really fine tuning a list i really like that um, yeah, it's it's things like that that do, like, it, it's the difference between a good player and a great player in terms of list writing is going to be that, like, 50 to 100 points at the end of a list. Yep. Um, and it doesn't seem like a big difference, but it can be at the end of the day. Uh, you know, that one extra guy might make the difference between holding objective and not, or between deep striking something you needed to and not. Right. Um, but and the... sort of... No, go ahead, Papa. Oh, uh, the reason why I wanted to talk about this topic and um, talk about list building and gearing towards ITC missions is because I know a lot of you guys right now are talking with your buddies and trying to figure out what lists you want to run. We, we're going to have a large amount of 40k tournaments coming up soon, um, starting in, at the end of May and going on until uh, October after that yeah. Halo. It, it's really it's going to be crazy season here. Yeah, and it's kind of starting right now with this with these two majors coming up on the same weekend. Um, so I know you guys are looking for ITC lists. So I wanted to bring Jeff and Sean on uh, because I want I know Jeff is going into a little bit of a transition with his list. He's getting ready for the London GT, which is not mm-hmm. using ITC mm-hmm. missions, I think. But I changed my ITC list as well. But you did change yeah. your ITC list as well because you yeah. had to. Uh, um. So and good. Uh, I was was going to say, one thing that you do, I hear from relatively often from people is like that, oh, the ITC biases the game towards very specific ways of building lists and sort of that sort of thing. Like, oh, I don't like it because it it makes you do this. It means you don't ever want to do that. And the reality is that every tournament, every mission you play is going to have those biases built in. When you look at the at the GT lists from Europe that are using the the base book missions, you see a different set of biases. When you see when you look at the the Nova missions and sort of like what those do, it's a different set of biases. So yeah, ITC is biased. So is every single mission you'll ever play. It's it's all about understanding those biases and taking advantage of them however you can. All right, so I want to talk about a few things. Um, I actually have a question um, followed by, or to preclude an analogy. Never mind. Wow. I'm, I'm, I'm all over the place. Basically, I have a story to tell you guys, and that is the story of me building my own personal list that I, I want to run pretty much for the rest of the season. Um, I'm running into a little bit of a problem. I can't score more than 30 points in my list. And I don't know how to do it. I keep building my list to like, okay, I'm going to build recon. Like I know I'm going to go for recon every time. I'm going to run a lot of small units. Um, and then I'm going to build my list towards gearing other infantry units. Um, and then from there, I kind of don't know where to go. Uh, so when you're building your ITC list, do you build it to kill something and just win and max out on kill points? So you always kill more than your opponent and then occasionally grab an objective? Or do you build it towards winning secondaries? Um, or do you build it towards just board control or what? Like, what do you guys think is the direction, or do you not? Do you just have like a balanced list? What, where do you think is the direction you guys go to do well in the ITC? Well, what I would say there's a couple there's a couple catchalls that that you kind of start with, and I'm more answering this less specifically to you, but more to the greater um, audience, I guess. 
but it could be applicable for you as well. Um, you kind of want to pick something, you, you build a list, you start with an army that you just think is really cool and awesome. So like, there's a lot of people that get into Warhammer and are like, well, which, which is the noob friendly one? Or my friends are beating me with Tau. What do I take to beat them? No, no, no. Don't do any of that. Start with something you like that's really cool. I think the next thing you then have to accept is not every codex um, an army allows you to be as competitive in all facets of the game. So like if you are taking Space Marines, for example, and you're you're like, well, I want board presence, killing power, and really good melee. I don't think that's the codex for you. I don't think that you're mm-hmm. going to be able to do all those things to a level where you can build out a list that way. That doesn't mean you have to skew your options down to nothing where you're like, no, no, no. All I do is shoot and there's nothing else I do. It just means that you take the strengths of the codex. So for like for me, yeah. in, in my opinion, Space Marines have if I'm looking at a Space Marines list, I go three units of scouts. I start with that. Mm-hmm. Uh Captain Lieutenant, probably. I start with that. Yep. And then a lot of people are going towards like jump lieutenants and, and some cool stuff there where you have the rerolls, but you also have the punching power and you have the um you have the ability to make choices there, I guess. Then yeah. you have the different kinds of space marines. So, like, if you're ultramarines, for instance, you're probably leaning towards shooting because you have some really fantastic stratagems for that, but you also have access to Gilliman, which is very expensive, and you don't necessarily have to take him. Uh, in fact, you most certainly don't have to take him. But that's probably the direction you're going with that. Then there's thing, you know, I'm not going to go down all the space marines, but you kind of start at that conceptual level, and then you build it out stylistically, I yeah. think. so. Figure Raven Guard is one of my favorites right now. That is that board presence, hard to remove. You know, power armor and cover with minus one to hit. That's really, really difficult to deal with. Um, go ahead, John. Uh, well, I think to your point, understand what your army is good at and what your army can be good at. Because there are multiple mm-hmm. ways to build most armies, but most armies are going to be inclined towards doing a single or, or one general thing. And focusing on that is part of where your strength is going to come from. So if you're not good yep. at killing, if you're the Nurgleist we talked about earlier, don't try and maximize your killing power because that's not where your strength lies. Maximize your resilience and just make sure you have enough killing power. Right. So so uh, let, let's look at Kristen Broxson's list because I really like his list because his path to victory is very simple. He's going to kill more units than you are. So he's always going to get two points up on you or one point up on you every turn. And then from there, he probably picks like gangbusters or some sort of killing secondary where he's just killing things. Um, And then he probably picks recon because I think his list is pretty good at recon. Um, So his path to victory for his list, because it's a simple list, is is simple and drawn out. You just you kill more things your opponent. You try to hold an objective and you end up scoring um, somewhere around 30 points, 30 ish points, maybe more. That's kind of like your path to victory every single game. Um, but if you get a more complicated list, like some of these Dark Eldar lists, uh, that they they control the board, but they're really hard to get points on, um, I just, you know, I don't really see the path to victory for those Eldar lists. Maybe they're maybe they're really good. Maybe they just always kill at least one thing and hold at least one objective, and then they they don't give up a lot of secondary points. Like, maybe that's their path to victory. Um, uh, I think, I think if you boil the game down into like real simple answers and and questions like that, I think you're kind of doing yourself a disservice. Like it's, it's nice to think that way because there definitely is some logic to that. And there definitely is like, that's the beginning of the discussion, I guess. mm -hmm. But what's so beautiful about the game and what I enjoy so much is that the game's not so simple as like, well, if I just kill one more unit each turn and then I'm hard to score against, I'll probably win. 
the game has so many more elements to it than that. I just think, like Sean was saying, and kind of like I'm echoing, you just want to corral yourself into a place that's more realistic where you're like, look, if I'm taking Dark Eldar, but I want to be a static, hard-hitting gun line, unfortunately, they actually kind of do that pretty well. I guess that's a bad <laughs> example. But the point is, or no, you're like, I'm an Assault Tau player with Farsight. Wee! Uh, <laughs> probably not the best thing to build around and not the best place to do it. Or if you're like, I need a countercharge unit for my, for my Tau. Maybe don't dedicate too many points to that because that's not also something they can do. But if you build around synergistic um, Overwatch and you do have that Onager Gauntlet because you're just that kind of fluff bunny, or you, you know, you know what unit actually can tie something up, then fall back with fly and shoot it. You kind of build your list around that contingency plan. Mm -hmm. That's that greater thinking of a list that is good. Um, I find we're moving away from this, and I think that's what the FAQ has done and what Eighth Edition is starting to flush out a lot better. Is it's not. You're not seeing 14 Hellhounds where they're just like, yeah, you can't kill it, and they all hit auto, so it's just good. It's getting harder and harder to find lists like that because the game's, you know, paring down, I guess. Right. Sean, you had something yeah. to say? Uh, it, to, to Jeff's point there, like, you can't just say my plan is this because you've got to have a different plan against every army you face. Otherwise, you're just sort of, like, mashing your face into a wall and you're not going to take the top table's with a plan like that. Um, however, that said, I think you can optimize for the secondary missions uh, to a certain degree. I wrote a big article on that when the uh, champion missions were relatively new. I think a lot of it still applies, even though they have, they've changed some of them a little bit. Um, and knowing, like, how many points do I give up? How many points am I likely to score on these secondaries can be a big swing, uh, because I ran and I've run a uh, a pure ally talk list with Eldar for quite a while, and it's insanely difficult to score points on that. Um, you know, it doesn't give up any big game hunter. It doesn't give up headhunter very well. It only has two characters. Um, it's it doesn't give up death by a thousand cuts. It doesn't give up like almost anything. Um, and when you, when you bump up to a, into a list where it's like, okay, I'm only going to score like seven points on the secondaries. If you score 12 and they score seven, you can afford to have a lot more mediocre board presence because you're just so far ahead of them otherwise. Um, and that's, I think that's a big consideration for when you're building a list, look up like, what secondary points am I giving up? Just because you give up 12 on secondaries, that's not that unusual, a lot of lists do, but if you can see easy ways to avoid giving up secondaries, do that. Like, take that ninth, that mortar squad in your infantry units so you're not giving up that, that easy point. Um, take you know, the 19-man gene stealers. Don't take a full unit of whatever unit you have for gangbusters. Um, because if people see they're only going to get two or three points out of a secondary, they're probably not going to take it. Three points, maybe two points, don't do it. Um, and that's a big part of a list, is like knowing how well you score and what you can score. Yeah. So so let's go ahead and unpack that topic further, because I think that's a great topic to expand on. Um, so we're talking about the ITC secondary missions. So for those of you guys who don't know where that is, you go to frontlinegaming.org, you click on the ITC tab, you click on the ITC tournament 40k format, you go to the ITC Champions missions, and then there you go. So those are the yeah. missions used for all 
40k IHC events that choose to use those missions, the champions missions, um, which a majority will use. And it's if you kind go of to the, the LVO, default. yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and if you go to any of the big frontline gaming events, the LVO, BAO, SoCal Open is definitely what we're going to be using. Um, so I want to single out behind enemy lines and recon. Uh, those two are very important secondary objectives, and that they are the only two objectives that score you points for just being somewhere on the board. Uh, they're very easy to plan for and to build a list for. Uh, you just need kind of mobility um, and and uh, board presence to really get them. Uh, I'm not going to count old school because old school technically has line breaker. But it doesn't really count because yeah. three of the four things in old school require you to kill something. Um, so well, good. And I think the other very relevant thing that Pablo has not like specifically called out but has implied. Uh, Recon and behind enemy lines are the only two that are dependent on your list, not your enemy's list. Yes. Uh, you score them by putting things in your army, not dependent on what your enemy has in their army. Right. Yeah. And and that's important because you can actually gear your list to not giving up any other secondary points. So, for yep. example, headhunter. If you limit your if you limit your list to to uh, characters that are either really hard to kill um or uh you know you probably don't want to spam a bunch of little tiny characters um but if you do mm. make sure they're really well protected like they can hide out in venoms and wave serpents and transports um which are perfect for protecting your little characters and you don't want them to die and get charged at or sniped um so headhunter i feel like that's the most common one that people pick because in general people just take characters anyways but you it can is... limit that it is hard not to have characters in in an army. Like, almost all armies will have at least two or three characters, mm -hmm. just by virtue of having taken detachments. Detachments require HQs. HQs are almost always characters. Yes. There's a handful of exceptions to that. Uh, that said, characters are, by their nature, very resilient. They're protected from shooting. They tend to have relatively good saves. They often are decent melee fighters. So, Headhunter almost always something you'll be able to get you know max or near max points on but you kind of have to be like killing everything else your opponent has in order to get it in a lot of cases um yes. so it headhunter sometimes is a trap uh because like unless your opponent's characters are very aggressive those those dawn eagle captains that they're throwing into your face that are going to or assassins yeah or assassins things basically melee characters yeah you'll kill those because they have to get right up next to you to do their job but a lot of those utility and shooting characters that you see pretty hard to get rid of and you can't really count on getting them every game yes um uh, Kingslayer is kind of it's kind of an easy one. It's not one that people pick a lot unless they take Celestine, which is like you obviously you take Kingslayer and Celestine. Um, I actually you... take Kingslayer fairly often. Really, I find it. Yeah. So here's the thing: most big HQs, well, air quotes big, which is you know basically any of the the captains and stuff like that that someone nominates as their their warlord have six wounds or more, uh, or they're a monstrous creature that has twelve or more wounds. Those okay. are all giving up full points for Kingslayer, and you usually want to be killing that model anyways, either because you took old school or because it is something that is very important to your enemy's list. Um, so Kingslayer, I find, is relatively easy to get full points on. 
Um, you're not okay. usually having to go out of your way to get it. Yeah, um, that's that's funny because I played a game with Celestine um, a while ago, um, and they picked Kingslayer against me, and I realized I didn't really need Celestine, so what I did was I just <laughs> deep struck her in my deployment zone on turn three, and then she sat in a building with some scouts, and they earned me recon points, and I won because my opponent didn't get a single Kingslayer point. At the end, and, I just, like, yeah. wasted 250 points in my army. I was like, nope. Yeah, I was going to say, you can definitely do that, but that means they have 250 points less models in their That's face true. early on. So, I'm not saying you were wrong there, um, but there's definitely a cost associated with that. Yeah. Um, but it can also be easily mitigated. You can get around Kingslayer by simply putting characters in your army that um make your warlord something that's like three or four wounds so or maybe even yeah. just three wounds your warlord something weak that you, you don't really that you can protect really easily put in a transport and then um don't put any characters that are five or or six or more wounds in your army if they're characters or if they're vehicles make sure they're at like 11 wounds um 12 wounds uh, you don't usually have rough. a lot of control over right. that like they tend to just have a thing but like you like you were saying if you just play conservatively if they if your warlord hangs out in your deployment zone and is able to do that while still contributing to the battle then kingslayer can be a lot harder to score it does right. depend on like all of these what your arm, your opponent has in their army right and, and where i'm getting at here is for the rest of the secondary objectives you want to think about how many points your list can possibly give to your opponent if your opponent were to max out on those secondaries. Um, mm -hmm. So if you have like a unit like Celestine, your opponent can easily max out with Kingslayer and possibly Headhunter as well, off of Celestine alone. Yeah. Right. So so she's a, a model you might want to consider not adding into your army. Um, also, models like Pask and Swarmlord, if you make the Swarmlord your Warlord, um, those are models that you might want to consider not adding into your army because they give up three or four points. Um, well, so, go ahead. And and, and like I said before, don't avoid building an army. I mean, we just talked about a ton of armies playing ITC missions that have the Swarm Lord, who have other, like, six and seven right. wound characters, who have all these things that we're sort of cautioning you about. Don't drop these things from your list just because they give up full points. But be aware that in ITC, you are giving up full points here. Most lists, yep. most lists give up 12 points, not giving up 12 points is an advantage. Don't think of like, oh, I give up full points, this list is trash. Just like be looking to like ways you can make it so you don't give up full points if possible. And if you do, just understand what that risk is. Yeah. And I think the sweet spot is is um, putting units in your list that give your opponents two points for sure um, and potentially three points in multiple areas. So like another a great example is like Eldar lists they they have a lot of ten man units or maybe like two ten man units, um, and then they have a lot of uh, good vehicles that are pretty hard to kill, like maybe wave serpents, or raiders, yeah. which can stay in the back yeah. and shoot. Uh, it, they really give you a hard time deciding what you want to kill, what, where you want to get your three or two points on. Yeah, it's it's a big picture thing. So like, if you have two units of twenty formagons and you're like, my whole thing is I want to run up the field, you don't. You don't, you know, you can do that. That's one of the easier fixes, go down to 19, right? But I guess the overall point is, like, I wouldn't do that and have Warlord, Swarmlord, or, like, you know, three big game hunter things on top of it. Like, three Flyerants, they're all characters, they're all big game hunter, and then you also have mm -hmm. these two 20-man units, and you're like, every game you will give up 
all 12 points of secondary. Yeah. Can you still win? Yes, but you're certainly making it harder for yourself. The the danger is giving up the full secondary points easily. Your opponent probably has the ability to score full points on you one way or another. The question is, how hard do you make that? Like like I said earlier, like do they have to go out of their way to do it? Are they are they having to move their army into your backfield and hunt down all those shitty little characters you've got running around? Or do you have, you know, three shield captains and you know, Captain Smashfuck right in their face? And it's like, well, there's four points off Headhunter. Don't even have to try. If I don't kill them, I lose. So I've got to kill them. Yeah. Now, uh, let's um, let's go ahead and go to primary missions. And I want to talk about them real quick and then talk about a, an overall grand scheme. Um, so the primary missions, you have technically a maximum of of uh 30 points that you can score off primary missions um obviously that that never ever happens because that means you're also getting the bonus points and you're just destroying your opponent because you're holding more objectives and killing more than them so you're i've never seen someone score score a full 30 i think the most i've ever gotten out of it is like 27 or something yeah and that wasn't just a total blowout game yeah yeah 46 you know uh i think the maximum you can score is 42 yeah um well, 46 for secondaries, including secondaries, right? Oh, 42. You're right. I, I can't yeah, math right 42, now. 42, yeah. 30, 30 points off primaries, 12 points off secondaries. Yeah. 40-point games are extremely rare. Um, what, what do you think? Yeah. B- before we go on to this, what do you guys think is a good points value that people should be shooting for? Because obviously you want to kill and hold an objective every turn if you can. So that's like that's 10 points because those are, those are relatively easy to score. Um, and then I think you probably want to get about 12 to 14 points in secondaries i think that's a fair number to reach for consistently well so you're looking 12 at 22 to, on secondaries or um, i'm sorry uh 10 uh 8 to 10 kill points 8 to 10 secondary okay. points uh but i feel it, like 20 points is low um for when you're wanting to score and when you're wanting to win well because so, so the way i look at for? it the the, the I don't think it's so much, you know, what do you shoot for? Because that's going to depend on what your opponent gets. The way I look at it is you should be getting two points every single turn of the game. Kill a unit, hold an objective. You will sometimes fail to do that against that, like, all Dawn Eagle Jet Bikes list, against the Nurgleist, stuff like that. But that's going to be the exception, not the rule. Mm-hmm. Um, so you should be scoring two points every turn. That's probably 12 points for both you and your opponent. You are then looking to tip that balance with the hold more or kill more than them. And which one of those you do will depend a lot on the matchup. You can't, like, hammer out a decisive thing, but some lists are going to be better than others. If you're the Tau list, you're probably killing more. If you're the Space Marine list, you're probably holding more because you got scouts all over the fucking place. Um, so you're looking to tip that balance, and you're looking to get more secondaries than your opponent is, obviously. Um, and that's where sort of like looking to either minimize your secondaries or maximize against them becomes important. Um, because most lists start out in a relatively even footing in terms of like how many points they can score over the course of the game. So it all becomes about denying your opponent points while getting your own points. and this is where, like, a lot of people talk about how alpha strikes are the most important thing. They win the game. Well, the player who goes second in ICC actually tends to win more games. And this is why, because you know exactly what you need to kill and what you need to hold. Hmm. 
that that and that's also a really good point. Um, going second right now is um, definitely the way to go. Um, I usually lose the games that I go first in, um, and actually I'll go first often. Um, but going second is really powerful, and if you build a mobile lethal list that can that can pretty much kill outlying infantry units that you see a lot of, because that's that's kind of the meta right now. The meta the meta is um, in general. A lot of people have a lot of small infantry units scattered mm-hmm. everywhere, all over the board, in cover, out of line of sight. That's you, you'll see that eighty percent of the time. Um, so you should always be able to kill something if you have if you design your list for it. Um, now, whether that's with mortar teams or, or line of sight, you know, denial or, or being able to shoot out of line of sight or deep striking or whatever, um, as long as you're able to do that, you can. You should always go second. That's pretty much it. I, I think that's a little bit strong of a statement. There are okay. times when both first and second are the right choice for each list, um, but be aware that while going first gives you a firepower advantage, which may help you if you think that, I'm just going to table this guy, it doesn't matter what points I score in the early turns of the game, uh, going second is a scoring advantage, because you always know, oh, he killed two units, that means I need to kill three units, I guess I'll dedicate a little bit of firepower to sniping off that last Nurgling or whatever. Right. Um, and that that's a very important decision to make. Um, it's it affects the whole flow of the game, and I think way too many players like like sort of that deployment decision. Where do I deploy my stuff? How do I put it down? The decision of do I go first or second is absolutely enormous, and a lot of people just sort of default into like, yeah, I go first because I don't know, I'm I have shooting, so I should probably go first. It's like, well, what's the board look like? Can you hide out of line of sight? What kind of guns does the enemy have? You know, do they have any guns? If you're playing that Nurgle list uh, that just has no shooting at all, going second isn't that much of a disadvantage because they just they're not fast enough to get to you right away, and they don't have the hitting power to punish you for not having the first turn. Um, so knowing when you need to take them and when it's an advantage to do one or the other is really big. And there are advantages to doing both. Mm-hmm. Okay. But Jeff, you've been kind of quiet. Um, what, I know this is a very general question, um, but what what's kind of like a, a general point breakdown for your army, um, for your Custodes army? Point break. Yeah, like like uh, what's How'd... a what's a game plan path to victory? Like I'm gonna score this many points. Yeah, I'm gonna kill a unit every turn. I'm gonna hold something. Just just kind of like a general. Because you win a lot of games. Um, maybe that's my problem. I just need to win more 40k games, and then I'll start seeing <laughs> how how to actually win and and lay it out. Um, I try to I try to remind myself like uh, when I first got at the competitive Warhammer, my sensei, Mr. Reese Richard Robbins, um, said a very simple statement that I think is in, incredibly important in competitive Warhammer. That's just play to the objective. Yeah. A lot of people lose sight of that. A lot of people play to kill. A lot of people think about playing to the objective, but it's turn four or five, and it might be a little bit too late, or they're out of position to do that. But if you just kind of remind yourself every game, uh, and at the beginning of every turn, that it's like, okay, here's what I'm scared of. Here's this big hammer unit. Um, I understand that. Here's the soft underbelly unit. I'm going to think about that too. But I also need to remind myself, maybe I leave that guy within three inches of the objective, although I kind of want this unit to run across the board, because I don't have alternatives to scoring that objective. Or... 
if he targets this thing that's now exposed, and I'm not on my home objective, or he can jump on it and get it for the bonus, is that a problem? So you just kind of think about the mission first, and mm -hmm. then think about killing second. I think that's even just something as simple as that statement right there um, puts the game in a, in a much more clairvoyant focus where you can kind of proceed from there. Um, I myself, in some of my more killy lists, kind of like when I was running um, War Convocation and uh, shooting Terranids, sometimes you can get carried away with just like, well, shit, he's got a Mortarian. I need to kill the crap out of it. But maybe he deployed that Mortarian really defensively, and even with warp time, I have a whole turn to, to wait. Uh, or my list is not kitted out towards doing significant damage to him. Because I, I play against opponents all the time who are just like, well, I don't know, this probably won't do much, but I'll give it a shot anyways, and then they, and it just doesn't do anything. Uh, and that unit could have used that that shooting phase that they knew wasn't going to do much to advance or do some other role that does get them something like you have to remember too when you're pushing um like a table side or you're getting recon or you're scoring objective that's also a thought for your opponent but if you break the game down and simplify it to you're just trying to kill them the game also simplifies for your opponent which allows them to make fewer mistakes and um perhaps outthink you in that scenario as well hmm. yeah yeah i think jeff's point is not necessarily specific to ITC, but sort of to the game in general, is super important. Mm. Um, you win the game by scoring points. You can, kill, you can kill so many units, and if they just have one guy left and more points than you, it doesn't matter. And I see players make that mistake all the time, especially in a matchup where, you know, maybe it's not great for you. Um you know, maybe your Eldar are fighting that, like, nine Hellhound list. It's like, well, shit, this is just going to roll right over me. Um, but even in matchups where you are on parity or even in an advantage, look at the points. You win by scoring points. Killing models feels good, but scoring points wins the game. Okay. Uh, do you guys ever go for the bonus points? or Because or, I usually just find myself... They're so hard. <laughs> They are. They're so hard to get. Uh, but s some of them aren't hard to get. So like, yeah. like the the one where you have to, where there's six objectives and you have to have control at least five to get the point the bonus point. That one's hard. It's at the end of your player turn, I, but that one almost never actually happens. Are you talking uh, mission one? The yes. uh, that Seize one's actually only only contesting five. I actually oh. consider that to be one of the easiest of the bonus points to oh, score. I, I've never read actually. Actually, that is really. Yeah. Uh, mission one is, is you just need to contest five, which is still really hard to do. But if you're the second player, it's pretty plausible. Yeah. Um, I just I I see a lot of them are quite hard. If you get one bonus point over the course of the game, I consider that to be pretty well done. Most games, I see zero bonus points scored. Okay. Yeah, you don't play to it. It's situational. Yeah, like if you can get them, yeah, absolutely. A, a free point is a free point, but don't go into a mission expecting that, oh, I'm going to get a bonus point every turn. You're not. You're maybe going to get one or two if your opponent is not doing well. Okay. I will say along these lines, one thing to kind of, it's fairly similar. Um, and again, not every list gets to do this, but one thing to kind of consider, if you look at the entire ITC mission loadout, there's a good three... And just off the top of, top of my head, maybe four, but I think it's closer to three missions where a lot of the objectives tend to be within about 24 inches of each other towards the middle-ish of the table. Mm -hmm. So if you have a, if you have the ability to access 
strong melee or um, strong indirect fire or just strong fire in general, and you can kind of control that space, you end up controlling a lot of the scoring of the game in general, which I, I think this is not super revolutionary. I think a lot of people know that, but just specifically towards ITC, um, if your list has those elements in particular, played that way is very powerful. Yeah, controlling the middle of the field is very strong. Yeah. Uh, the army that controls the middle of the field for most of the game probably wins the game because they have the most points. Yes. Um, and especially in, in ITC terrain heavy, uh, specifically like like things, places like the LVO, um, where in the middle of the board there's this nice big ruined line of sight blocking terrain um, that you can just hide out in. And and uh, if you if you're holding it and it's at the center of the board, you could potentially be scoring a recon point, protecting your guys from being killed, um, and scoring the objective on it as well. So if you don't have mm-hmm. a way to flush your opponent out of ruins, I agree. Um, you you definitely need something else. Um, yeah, you've got to have some way to deal with that big block of death company or plague bearers or whatever it is that's hanging out in the middle of the field, holding objectives and scoring points. Because okay. uh, you can't just let those guys sit there the whole game. Yeah, uh, what do you guys? What do you guys um, do when you when you face an a, an army like um, uh, like an like the John Palmowitz army, an army that you can't really score a lot of points on, or actually, um, better yet, the Dark Eldar, uh, Ma- Matthew Lee, um, you know, with a lot of Cabalite warriors, um, Venoms, which I think are nine wounds, so they don't give uh, up any Venoms points. Venoms are five wounds. Oh my gosh! Yeah, Ugh. yeah, they are. They're, they're tough fives too, I think, aren't they? Uh, T five five wounds, but they are minus one to hit, four of armor, five up in roll. Wow. Yeah. So they're not tough, but they're tougher than you really want to be dedicating firepower to. Yes. Um. um but, but what do you guys do when you run into lists like that where you you can't really score a lot of secondaries and it just comes down to primaries? Well. So, the thing about secondaries is, like, yeah, you can deny your enemy uh, them to a, sec- a certain amount. Like, I've been playing this Eldar list that does this a lot for, for quite a while. Um, but you can only do that to a limited degree, because your opponent can take Old School. Old School is just a really easy choice. Like, almost most armies are just going to take it, uh, because it's a pretty easy three to four points. Um, so, Old School, they're getting max or near max out of. Um, they can probably manage to pull off recon for max or near max as well. That is another, like, relatively easy pick. Um, Dark Eldar especially does not have quite as much board control as Eldar does, uh, with Eldar having, like, rangers and everything to just sort of scatter around the field and saying, no, you can't put reserves here. Um, but Dark Eldar is, an assim- is not dissimilar in that they are much more likely to be able to stop you from easily getting those points and then at that point you're kind of picking the worst the best of a bunch of bad options um you should really be aiming to score at least eight points off your second or secondaries and more probably 10 um if you're only getting like six points off the secondaries you're in trouble because that is not yeah that means that you're putting yourself way down on score at that point uh because it doesn't always look like it but in a lot of games like scores tend to be relatively close up until like the final two or three turns of the game 
you'll mm-hmm. my experience is, is certainly that like turns one two and three even if you're losing you tend to score relatively similarly to your opponent um and it's turn four five and six where things go downhill you're losing too many units you're not killing enough and the score tends to tip one way or the other um so you really you want to be like looking at like how many points can i get out of these and how much work do i have to do for them okay um <clears throat> darn i was so entranced by i completely lost what i was going to the question i had next yeah. um uh but it's in the warp now it's it's gone yeah. it's gone forever uh so when you're when you're building your list I think that this is where I was going. When I was building my list, I think I found out what the problem was with my list in particular now talking to you guys. Um, I've never thought of the idea of using old school as just a free three points because that's basically what it is, right? It if you can get is. first strike, um, which you should be able to do if you build your list around just getting first strike. You just For, Well, first strike, last strike should be a given. You want to yes. be killing a unit every turn anyways. The first and last round are no different than any other round in that right. respect. Right, and then Linebreaker was always a gimme throughout, you know, since it's been invented, at well, least. Yeah. Line, Linebreaker is a little harder now than it has been in the past, depending on what your list is, but mm-hmm. I feel like if you should be able to get either Linebreaker or Warlord, and plausibly both, mm-hmm. um... Like, my, my typical pick is going to be, like, old school Kingslayer, because you know, now I need to kill the Warlord twice to, to get points out of it, and then a third thing based on whatever their army is. Uh, right. Obviously, there's some variability there, but that is a very, very common setup for me, and it's one I see a lot of other people use as well. Okay. Um, um. The one I would like to specifically caution people about, Death by a Thousand Cuts, it's harder than you think it is. Um... It is surprisingly difficult to get Death by a Thousand Cuts on a lot of lists, um, even lists that look like they have a lot of vulnerable units, uh, and very commonly I'll see people take it, and I'll just sort of be like, all right, well, you're getting like two points out of that, buddy. It is. It's a trap. And I apologize for anyone who's lost because of Death by a Thousand Cuts. I suggested it to Reese. I was like, hey, we should have it's... we should have something that, that targets all these five-man units that aren't giving any points. And Reese is like, okay, we'll throw it in. I think it's good that it's there. There are yeah. certainly some armies, you know, Guard will give it up relatively easily, mm-hmm. um, but Eldar or Tau or some of these other things are going to be surprisingly difficult to t- to get it. Um, it's also, it suffers from a problem that um, can happen with some of the others, like Recon, that is, it's great when you're winning, but not so much when you're losing, um, because when you get around to that tight turn four where most of your army is killed off the table, um, you're not going to kill three units a turn. Even even if you're winning, like you may have just lost enough firepower that you're not killing three units on the later turns of the game. What what, what about you, Jeff? What's a typical secondary build for you? Secondary objective choices. Um, I take I take a lot of board control type lists, and I I like this. I play torque scoring, so I usually do something like Linebreaker. If you have if you have uh, access to like assassins in particular or stuff similar roles like that, two units tucked in the corner mm-hmm. away from a list that doesn't have a gigantic footprint is just four points essentially for free. Yeah. Um, and then that's the beginning of recon as well, so it kind of leans itself in that direction. And I take a lot of old school because I'm going to be killing stuff, and like Sean said, 
you want to be killing stuff on the first and last turn, so there's two of them. Linebreaker is something you want to consider if you're a big assault army or something like that, which I am. Uh, or you have that recon slash uh, behind enemy lines, lol. Huh. And then that just leaves Warlord, which again, you uh, probably find yourself facing at some point anyways as well. Right Jeff, on. I'm actually a little bit curious in your opinion. How do you feel behind enemy lines compares to recon? Because they're very similar, I think, in sort of the overall sense. Um, and I see different players take different ones of them uh, based on their list. How do you how do you feel about them? Is there one you prefer over the other? Do you think one is better than the other? Recon is one that you can accidentally get. You can just kind of realize you're, you're you have it. Uh, behind enemy lines is rarely that and is a little bit more scary where you can be like, oh, I totally will get that for sure. But then you lose those two units that you were counting on to do that. And then two units, literally two, is a very, it's a funny threshold number because it's very easy to get one thing in one in one place, but two is actually like an entirely different animal. Mm -hmm. So I would caution people that if you are doing behind enemy lines, um, it's something like you're, you know, pre-FAQ would be like you're a big drop army, sure. Uh, Post-FAQ, I think you're going to see a lot less, but I think if people were taking it, they need to put more deep thought into it because maybe you still can. But full-size units sitting in your opponent's deployment zone, uh, again, that's very funny because it's specifically probably not a fighting situation because those guys will eventually wash up, right? And if you don't have more forces coming in to try and do that, um, then you're out of behind enemy lines, and that's one, two, or even three points off that could end up losing you the game. Mm. Yeah. That's that's kind of been my intuition as well. Recon is relatively easy for most armies. Like, it's not that hard to push into midfield most of the time. Behind enemy lines has always struck me. It's certainly very much improved from the earlier versions. Um, we, we helped Reese with some of the playtesting when he was uh, getting comments and thoughts on, like, what the mission should be and how they should work. And the earlier version of it was, like, unusably bad. Um, the new version, I still feel, is a little bit tricky sometimes, but yeah. it's definitely doable. Like you say, with these these kind of, like, trashy little, like, assassins and stuff that have some minor defensive abilities that you just sort of, like, toss in there. I would say it's, uh, it's um, imbalanced in that it's... Not everyone has easy access to what it takes to make that a, a good secondary to take. Yeah. Um, if it is anything big, like it's not even scouts and nerdlings. Like you actually flat out can't. Um, and then if you're like counting on walking them into position, <laughs> you know, that's really tough as well. So it's, it's yeah. definitely going to be one of the least common objectives, but you can build around it. So Eldar have access to some cool units that can pretty easily get it. Mm -hmm. um, it's just the question of holding on to it that I think is really funny. So. If you have individual characters that can deep strike um, and aren't a big oh, threat yeah. or don't garner a lot of attention, then that's the sweet spot that you find yourself in. Yeah, okay. I can see that. Right on. All right. I think that's pretty much wraps it up, guys. Is there anything else you guys want to add to this? No. This is a good discussion for me. Yeah. The only thing I would just reiterate one last time is always look at the mission every single turn. Like Jeff was saying, yeah. just look at the mission. Where can I get points? How many points does my opponent have? How many points do I need to get? Be doing that all the time. If you have to, like, print out a little, like, sheet or something for your practice games so you get in the habit and just start of every single turn, look at it and think, how do I get mm -hmm. the points here? How do I get the points here? How do I get the points here? Specifically kill, because I can... If you don't kill something in a turn and your opponent kills one thing, it's yeah. a two-point swing, yeah. which is massive. Yes. 
and some lists are designed to abuse that, right? Like the mm-hmm. the Nurgle lists and the the Custodes Jet Bike lists, right? Uh, so. I remember specifically uh, Joshua Death's old uh, Poxwalker Bloom list. Yeah, uh, basically set you up where your choices for shooting were a thirty man unit of Pink Horrors who had full reinforcement points to bloom out into smaller horrors and a toughness 10 building with 30 wounds. (laughs) Those were the only two things in his list you could shoot at. Um, And at that point, you're never getting kill. You're just, you can't. It's, there's no realistic way for that to occur. Uh, And I think that looking to take advantage of that is a thing you can do because that's, like lists that would otherwise be kind of mediocre, but that score very well are good lists. Right. Um, and then just be cautious of those, those lists too, because lists like that don't also don't score a lot of points. Um, yes. So if you play lists like, uh, like Jeff said earlier on in the show, that Nurgle player, all of his games are like 20 points, 22 points, mm-hmm. right? Which actually isn't a lot of points. Um, mm-hmm. So you're going to want to make sure you win all your games because when it comes to tiebreakers, making it into the top eights and making the cuts, you're probably not going to have a good strength schedule or good points um, for those for those tiebreakers. So just keep that in mind, guys. Um, uh, that's pretty much it. I don't have anything else to add. Thank you very much for listening. If you guys liked this, if you guys like more of this, let me know. I'm always open to show ideas. Um, and if you guys have any questions about ITC missions or if you guys just want to talk about ITC in your lists, email me, frontlinegamingpdpab at gmail.com. You can also hit up Jeff on Twitch. And you can hit up Abuse Puppy on FrontlineGaming.org and on Facebook. Mm-hmm. All right, guys. Thanks for coming on. It's always a pleasure. Thank you guys for listening, and have a good one.